I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have a special edition Frogman Friday for you guys today. This is my fourth collection of Navy SEAL interviews. They are from my top five most downloaded Frogman Friday episodes of 2019 thus far. I can't begin to tell you how honored I am to have had the opportunity to speak with so many of these elite warriors about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. I know that I am not alone here in my admiration of the SEALs. My Frogman Friday episodes are among the most top downloaded episodes of the podcast. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy these awesome conversations with some of America's elite war fighters. All five are combat veterans. I am grateful for their service and their sacrifice. Kicking it off will be my interview with DevGru or SEAL Team 6 operator Eddie Penny, then exercise physiologist Jeff Nichols, followed by entrepreneur Ryan Bates. The final two frogmen host a very popular podcast of their own titled Team Never Quit, Mr. Frog Logic himself, David Rutherford, and the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell, who joined me on the podcast here along with his wife, Melanie. All right, so let's go, dads. I will return on Monday to kick off another five banger for you guys heading into the Father's Day weekend. Uh, Monday will also kick off a very special giveaway on the podcast here, so lock it in for that. And be sure to share this podcast with every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that is celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to jump right into the action now with five of America's most elite Navy SEALs. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a former United States Marine, a former United States Navy SEAL. He served with the best of the best on the planet, known as SEAL Team 6 or DevGru. It is such an honor for me to say, Eddie Penny, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, here we go. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I have three children. I have a 19-year-old daughter. She's married now. Uh, and I have a 15-year-old daughter. Yes, 15-year-old. So that brings its own complications into everything. And then I have a 9-year-old son. Okay, yeah. I have four children myself. Our oldest is about to be a teenager, so we are bracing for impact over here. Yeah. <laughs> Put on the pads. <laughs> <laughs> what type of uh, sports or activities are the kids into? Uh, my 15-year-old, she's into track and cross-country right now. And then my son just we just completed basketball, and we're about to start up soccer for him. So this will be his first season doing soccer, so he's pretty amped up for that one. Okay. Do you coach at all, or do you kind of enjoy it more from the sideline? More from the sidelines, just being the, kind of a single parent and, not, and you know, running a couple companies, it's kind of difficult. I did do a year uh, where I coached my son's t-ball a couple years back, so that was definitely fun. Uh, but like with basketball, I don't know a lot about basketball, so I, I think I'd look more like a fool than anything else if I try to take on that responsibility. All right, please take a minute here, Eddie, to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Okay, got you. Uh, started off uh, in the military, just retired from the military, did four years in the Marines, and then uh, switched over to the Navy, where I did 16 with the SEAL teams. Uh, retired in 2016. Uh, started a company contingent group, so I do that now, and then obviously a full-time father, which is which is the real job and, and blessing, I guess you could say. So uh, that's what I do now. 
So cool. When did fatherhood come into the picture for you, Eddie, and how did becoming a dad change your perspective on life? Um, I mean, obviously, I was a father when, you know, when my children were born, but I really was not a father, like, full-time and then really didn't grasp it until I got custody of my children in, I think it was 2000 in, 2008 or 2009, I believe it was. And that's uh, – actually, it was 2009. And then – but I just kind of got three children, uh, you know, different. I think my oldest daughter was nine, middle daughter was five, and then my son was eight or nine months when I got him. Uh, so it was just like, you know, from going from oper- operating as a Navy SEAL and then getting getting all these children, I mean, just like total wow. Uh, I remember before if I had to watch the kids for like an hour or two alone on like a Saturday, I thought that was the biggest deal in the world. Like that was me bracing for impact. And now I hear my buddies say that. I'm like, you enjoy that? You love that? You like don't complain about that? Like that's it's nothing when you have them full time and you got to – deal with all the sports and all the, the boy issues or girl issues or whatever is going on at their school. So, uh, yeah, that was like when it really came on full force and I had a totally different perspective on parenthood. I had so much more respect for single mothers, single fathers. I was just blown away. It was definitely the most eye-opening experience I have ever had um, over any deployment, over anything whatsoever. That was definitely – the pinnacle for me of like, wow, okay, all right, got you. I need to be a man here. So that was that would be it. Yeah, wow. Talk about a dichotomy or a change of pace, man, from the top-tier operator doing some of the most dangerous missions on Earth and then hitting that diaper change, man. That, that is crazy. Oh, absolutely. And, Eddie, I heard you on Mike Ritland's podcast. You guys mentioned something like there is 60% of Navy SEALs that come from single-parent households. Uh, did you grow up with a single-parent as well? Yes, yeah, so my mother pretty much raised me. I still had my father was still a big influence in my life uh, a lot. He was actually my hero. Uh, but it was, you know, it was the classic 50-50 or somewhat, you know, I guess what they call it in the court system. But I would see him once a week for dinner or a few hours. We'd do stuff. And then every other weekend I would hang out with him and he would fill me with football and uh, war movies. So <laughs> <laughs> I only ask because uh, there is a fatherless problem facing our country. The statistics out there are very overwhelming against the kids that are growing up without a father, especially if you find that father figure out on the streets. Did you sort of find a father figure in the military that kind of helped you out along the way? Um, I, yeah, I definitely, I, I wouldn't say like, obviously nothing will ever replace my father, uh, obviously, but um but that's not the case for all people. Yeah, I think, like, you know, you, you find, like, a mentor in the military, and, you know, they're, they've been there, done that, and, like, a mentorship. I mean, I've got, you know, people that I look up in the military still and still keep in contact with that, um, that I kind of, like, kind of, I wouldn't say take my dad's role, but I kind of look up them, too, as a father, like, yes, yes, sir, no, sir, um, I should do this, I shouldn't do this, uh, thank you for showing me this, um, and I, and I kind of look them at, in that. Uh, but I, I think the big thing that I see that at least that I realized was is that we take it for we take it for granted. I guess there was just this, this picture painted back when that you know mom stays with the kids, dads go out and work, and they come home and hang out. But like I, like, and the only reason why I say this is I realized that this was me. This is what I did. Is that you know I'd come home or I'd, I'd eat dinner, you know watch TV or just relax from the day. And I thought, like, oh, that's, this is what you do. You come home and relax. And that's, that's not the case. That's, that's not true. It doesn't matter if you're at work and you come home. You have got to engage in those children's lives. And, and that's what hit me hard. Is like I have not been doing this for years and years and years. And I, like, I was 
I was very shameful. I, I was very down on myself. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've been missing out on all these kids, like what are going on in their lives. I wasn't like diving into their lives, sitting down and asking like, hey, how was your day? They'd be like, oh, fine. And then and that would be it. I'd be like, okay, all right, I just had a communication with my daughter. Her day was fine. Okay, now it's like, okay, why was it fine? Like, what happened? Give me a highlight. Give me a, give me a bullet points. What happened today? So, and then, like, you know, it kind of goes in from there. So, and, and I feel, I think that, I think that's very common. And, I, and, it's, and it's not okay that I see. And, again, I was, I was the victim of this. So, I can say this now. <laughs> Yeah, Eddie, and I think dads have evolved so much more from that guy who just works all day, just brings home the bacon, and then doesn't get involved in any of the other aspects of being a dad, like changing a diaper or helping with homework and all that stuff. Most of the dads that I've spoken with on the podcast here are very involved with all of that with their children, and a majority of them are completely against this every kid deserves a trophy philosophy that I think is very poisonous to the culture, uh, along with this attack on masculinity, which popped up all of a sudden out of nowhere, it seems. Um, And even the way dads are portrayed on TV, the family dad is always a guy that seems to have given up on life. And I think that the whole narrative on family life and fatherhood in particular really needs to change. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it definitely is. um, You know, even when we have like, you know, uh, women coming into the workforce, men need to kind of be like coming into the fatherhood, like the fatherhood role. And one thing that I realized is, and, um, you know, I've got a lot of good friends that are very good examples of this that I look up to is, uh, you know, we're teaching these kids, like, it's our responsibility to teach them. We can't, like, oh, the school system will take care of it. I mean, there's so many crazy influences, both good and bad. I know we always like to concentrate on bad, but there's there's both that, you know, kids are influenced in school and sports. But we need to take our experience and take the time and, you know, you know if there's an on-the-spot lesson learned here, like, hey, and, like, sit down right there, and talk to your kid like, hey, we don't talk to people like this, and here's why. We don't, we don't act like this, and here's why. I think um, that's one thing that I found out, and again, um, from, from, other, from watching other dads, people that I respect and, like, you know, mentors, like, hey, help me out on this fatherhood piece because I have no clue what I'm doing at this moment. It's just seeing that um, is huge. And just those little one- to two-minute conversations for me um, over the last couple of years, it has been tremendous. Like I can just, and I just hear my kids, I can just hear them say it. It's like, I mean, we were sitting down at the dinner table the other day and my son was like, we started eating and I was just, I was thinking about work or something. And my son's like, Hey, we need, we need to pray first. And I was like, ah, yes, thank you. You're right, Tristan. We do need to pray first. So it was good to see stuff like that. Just like them calling me out. And I, like, I appreciate that. It's so, um, you know, you got to feed into them positively and they're going to give it back to you, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome, Eddie. My family prays together as well, and I keep God first in my life. Unfortunately, God and Christianity have come under attack as well. God has been removed from our school systems and most of pop culture. Um, I know you're a follower of Christ, which is so cool to hear. When did you become so strong in your faith? Was it during a particular deployment or during a combat situation? When did that happen for you? It's... Um... It happened after my deployments. I was still in. It was probably, I think I was 32 or 33 years old. Um, I went to, uh, like, a Christian boot camp by True North Ministries out of Oklahoma, a great organization. And, uh, I, and I was kind of forced there by my girlfriend at the time. It was kind of like, a, hey, you really need to go to this. You really need to go to this. Like, hey, you're going to this. So um, I didn't know, I really didn't know what it was. Um, and when I showed up and, you know, I, I, I Briefly touched on this on the on the podcast with uh, Mike. 
it was, it was just an eye opener. I, I've never prayed before, um, and I and I and I gave it all. And I and what I found after that was just amazing. And of course, like it was just the classic. Um, all right, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I didn't realize the war that really goes on in the unseen world. Like I just really started reading a lot, learning about sports, spiritual warfare, and really diving in. And just learning it's a process. It's not it just it keeps going and you keep evolving and you keep getting stronger and stronger through trials and you know, your endurance builds and um yes, like without that in my life I'm pretty sure I would be I just don't even know I don't even want to go where I think I would be without Christ in my life and in my children's life. And there's definitely the foundation or we try to keep it our foundation always and everything we do is put him first and when we do, just, you know, with my family, work, everything, it doesn't matter what it is. It seems to be it always goes in the right direction, um, even though, as you know, like, you're like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? It's just like, okay, lean on him. Lean on him. There's a bigger picture, um, you know, behind the scenes that we don't see, and that's kind of it's kind of cool because, like, it's like dad's got us covered. Uh, so I love that. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, dad, but uh, I know you got me. <laughs> Yeah, whenever I get overwhelmed and I need to uh, give it up to God in a sense, I always think of Matthew 6.30, which says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Exactly, exactly. And it's tough Uh, sometimes. Of course. It's definitely a battle for sure. Um, You said there that your girlfriend dropped you off. Now, being a single dad, uh, how were you with introducing girlfriends or other women into the lives of your children? Uh, well, I was seeing her before I got my children, and then when that happened, I was like, okay, I need to, like, do everything I can to try to keep her, which which did not happen in the end, but, um, yeah, I just, I was very, I was like, my life, I was like, in my head, and of course, I realized this is the devil, and it's all his little lies, and, like, your life is ruined. I mean, there was, when I got my children, I was like, I'll never be able to work out again. Like, how silly is that? Like, <laughs> hey, there's babies, there's babysitting services at the gym, you know, that's like, ugh. Um, I, I mean, it was a very rough time in my life. Um, but, yeah, come to find out, women like a man that can take care of children or take care of a family, which makes so much sense because men like that too. We like that when women like, oh, hey, yeah, she can take care of a family. She's there. Like that's – so I, I, I guess uh, everything that I thought was totally opposite of what the reality is. So I guess there, there's your spiritual worker right there. Yeah, so many young guys today, I talked about this in a monologue today, uh, I hear it also from so many young guys as I drive Uber on the weekend, they have this negative outlook on fatherhood and family life, like it's some kind of death sentence in that life, and everything that's fun about it comes to an end the moment that you have kids, and that's very sad. It's horrible. I, I was the same way. I, I mean, I was a victim of that too, but it's, it's not. It is like the life that is in this house, like my kids go with their mother on the summer, um, most of the summer um, for, to see her. And, like, when they're gone, I mean, it's nice to have a break. It's like, okay, cool, I can do what I want. After a day, I'm like, all right, this sucks. The house is quiet. Where are my kids? Where's the life that is here? Like, I miss, I just miss it. So it's just, yeah, they bring so much life and joy. It's insane. Yeah, it's so difficult to explain, Eddie. It really needs to be experienced to be fully understood. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the greatest, it's the greatest thing in the world, hands down. Like, there is nothing better. All right, Eddie, I have to ask you this. You have two daughters. One of them is married. The other is 15. How is the Navy SEAL when it comes to your daughters hitting that dating scene? How do you handle those situations? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, there's been, I mean, there's definitely been, uh, I, I don't know what my daughters tell these, these boys or whatever. 
Um, I have a very, my, my oldest daughter's married. I have a very good relationship with him. He's an awesome man. He takes care of her. Uh, and like, I mean, he, I tr- try to treat him like a son. Like he is, he's awesome. But my, my 50 year old's like, I don't want you, like, sometimes it's like, I don't want them to meet you. And then sometimes they want them to meet me. So it just kind of depends on the boy. But, um, when I do meet them, there's definitely the look in their eyes and I can tell my daughters have said things to them and they're just kind of like standing there. Uh, and some, some, some interact and they're totally cool and some are just, Got the deer in the headlight looks, but uh, but I'm, I'm again I'm a I'm a big teddy bear, you know. Unless you cross the line, then then there's problems. But uh, um, but no, I mean it's just it's just it is what it is. I mean we've all been there. I mean I was there, like meeting you know the father. You're scared. It doesn't matter what you do or whatever. It's just it's scary. It's like uh, yeah, I want to date your daughter. Um, Please say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I said this before on the podcast, Daddy. My daughter is only four, and I'm already dreading those days. And I'm hoping the fact that I've interviewed a few Navy SEALs will help me out when the time comes. Yeah, just give us a call. We'll we'll be there to do whatever. (laughs) (laughs) How about discipline, Eddie? Obviously, you're a former Marine, former Navy SEAL. Uh, It's safe to say you're a very well-disciplined individual. But how are you as the disciplinarian when it comes to being a father? I... You know, when I first got the kids, I was more like, okay, punishment. Like, it, like when, for me, if I talked back when I was a child, I got soap in the mouth. Or I would get a paddle or, like, a spanking or something like that. So I found that each child reacts differently to different punishments. Like, one is will react like um, we'll learn a lesson if they go to the corner or if they get soap in the mouth. But now I really – I really don't have to do that, and I haven't for a couple of years now, is I really just have a conversation and like, hey, this is why we don't do this, and I explain the consequences, or the, here's here's what can happen if you continue this, um, and try to like apply it with life. And I, I really don't, I wouldn't say I don't need to discipline my children. Now it's just like, hey, I take your iPad or Fortnite's gone, and it's like, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I mean, really, I, I really try. It's not like, okay, you, you know, go to the, go to the corner or like go clean your room or here's a chore. Like it's, it's more like, okay, sit down, let's talk about this. Where before it's like, go, here's your punishment. And that was it. Like that is no way to father. That is no way to parent. That is no way to teach or be a leader for your family. So now it's, there is a discussion that goes on. And now I give them the option. Like, what do you think, what do you think your punishment should be? And why do you think that? So now there's a discussion. So now we're making a two way conversation and it's very, it's very effective. Uh, at least with my children, um, it's just and, and plus I'm communicating and, and through that I find out more information about what's going on because a lot of times you know when people are acting out and I mean even with us as adults you know I could act out on a buddy and this really has nothing to do with that it could be like a um, a relationship over here that's going on or some work issue you know we just take it out on whoever might be uh, in our in our in our front view at the time but so so yeah I, I find out so much more when I just sit down like okay why are you doing this what's going on. And then we just had that conversation, and they're like, okay, what do you think your punishment should be for this? And and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm, like, finding grace so much. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grant you grace for this. Because I'm just looking at those eyes. I'm like, okay, I'm such a sucker. But um, but, I, but that, that like, that's been working a lot lately. So I know I just jumped around to about five different things. But uh, it just depends on the situation, I guess. 
Yeah, you mentioned taking away their iPads in there, and we are all battling with this Fortnite. But technology is a struggle for most dads, including the dads that I've had on the podcast here that make their living with technology. But how are you with social media, especially with the 15-year-old? Do you um, allow her to have social media accounts? Do you monitor the accounts? How do you handle all that? Yeah, I do. I like she has a she doesn't have a face. My 15 year old she she has a um, Instagram. Obviously, I got a password to her phone, and then I've got it connected her account to my phone. So whatever happens, I can see what's going on. Uh, I still do spot like random checks. Um, sometimes those checks prove not to be good, and then when that happens, we pull out the old flip phone, and it's very embarrassing for her, and she hates it, but it's very effective. So. Uh, yeah, I do those checks, monitor them. Um, I have, you know, certain settings on there that she can't go to certain things. But, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a problem. It's like technology. It's a blessing and a curse, right? seems like with everything else in this, in this world. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely do spot checks. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good what I find. So, it's, I mean, it's a battle for us all. It's not like, oh, I got it all figured out over there. No, no, I don't. Okay, Eddie, I mentioned before about the fatherless problem, and it's one thing when dads just walk away from their families or abandon their families and, and, and avoid their responsibilities, but it's, it's a whole nother ball game when dads are taken away. You have lost so many of your brothers who have left behind children. How does the military or your community in particular go about taking care of or trying to provide some type of father figure in the lives of those children? There's a lot of foundations that hold, um, that have like, certain events for those, for those children and uh, widows. And um, and I know a lot of buddies check in on them and see how they're going. And, you know, that's, I mean, back to technology, it's good to, like, have Instagram and Facebook and whatever other platforms are out there just to see what's going on, like, get pictures of them. Uh, obviously, reaching out on certain days, you know, on Memorial Days, it's not the the greatest day to reach out because I know they're getting bombarded. But it's good just to see and just kind of check up on them. And sometimes, you know, they reach out for, like, hey, I need help with this or, you know, give me some advice on this, especially with me being a, a dad. I mean, I, I got a different view on uh, on that piece and probably a lot of other people uh, just because of the situation. But, I mean, it's it's it sucks. Like, it, it's like, you know, you, you see a picture um, and it's like, man, like, I wish your dad was here. It's just like it hits you every, every time, like, without fail. You know, I see a picture of my buddies that, you know, that passed away. It's like, oh, it's just like – just that split second, it hurts, and it's just like, okay, you got to, like, kind of process it and accept it, and, like, it's it's done, you know, what's done is done, and just, like, you just want them to be, you know, want them, you know, want the widows to find another man that's going to step into that and fill that void or, um, you know, step in and be that good father figure, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a constant concern. I think about it often. I probably should do, I should be better at reaching out to people, um, but, I mean, it's, it's hard for, I know it's hard for us, too, because you're, like, Ugh, like what is what is this going to do on the flip side if I reach out? Is it going to you know stir up emotions? Do they want this? You know, so it's 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 a it's a game on both sides. You know, it's a very very volatile situation. Yeah, there has been so much sacrifice by so many families in our military. I really do honor and respect the men and women who serve our country. Uh, we wouldn't stand a chance out here if it wasn't for you guys. I am deeply grateful for everything that you do. We, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, all right, Eddie, you have accomplished so much in your life already. You've been around the world. What's coming up next for you? What kind of goals do you have for yourself? What's next for Eddie Penny? Uh, just uh, building the family. Um, so, you know, got got a new girlfriend, and we're going to just try to build that together and see what happens. And, um, 
build companies and just, I mean, just really just try to build an empire and just something great for, for my kids to leave stuff for them and just really just enjoy life. You know, I just enjoy life. I don't want to be stressed out. I want to be just enjoying my children, eventually enjoying my ch- children's children's and just uh, travel and just just enjoy life and just, you know, and not stress and just what comes, comes, you know. So that's 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 the goal right there, right now. <laughs> Very cool. All right, last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Eddie, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? My number one thing would be engage. Engage, engage. Be there, be there as much as you can. Um, as uncomfortable and... As much as we sometimes, and I, I know this is sad that we don't think like, oh, they can, they can handle it, just be there. Just try to get into that child's life, develop that relationship where they want to come talk to you. Because I've been on both sides where, you know, my daughter doesn't want to come talk to me, and, I, and it's like, oh, why don't they want to talk to me? And it's, and it's you. It's you because you're not approachable. So, um, you know, be approachable. Be able to um, and just empathize with them. Just listen. And give them positive feedback. And, I mean, honestly, bring Christ into the situation. Every time you do that, it, it's just, it, it always changes. When you put God first, it's, it's, it's always, without fail, always going to work out better than you trying to go out on your own. So that would be my number one thing right there. Well said. I love the message. You are a first-class father. This has truly been an honor for me. I have to say, Eddie Penny, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you very much for having me. I had a great time. All right, I'm going to wrap things up in just a second here. Let's go, dads. Summertime is upon us here, and there is no better way to spend time with your kids this summer than to take them to a live event, whether that's out at the ball field, at a monster truck rally, or even a Broadway show. Buy your tickets on SeatGeek.com or use the SeatGeek app and apply my code First Class. That's one word. First Class and First Class Fatherhood listeners are going to save $20 off their ticket purchase. Get over to SeatGeek.com or use the SeatGeek app and buy all your tickets for this summer's fun. Maybe you want to take them to their first concert. Go to SeatGeek.com and apply my code First Class. One word. First Class. And save $20 off your ticket purchase. Fatherhood is the best seat in the house. All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a combat veteran who served the majority of his time as a United States Navy SEAL. He is a certified strength and conditioning specialist who trains people for military, law enforcement, and professional athletic careers. It is truly an honor for me to say, Jeff Nichols, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. I appreciate you having me. All right, here we go. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have one son. He's uh, 12 years old. Going on, I think thirty-five is pretty much how it's acting. Yeah, I've got four children. My oldest is twelve as well. He's about to be a teenager, so we are buckling our chin straps over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm prepping as well. <laughs> All right, what type of uh, sports or activities is he into? You know, he's a. Uh, it's kind of cyclic. He's in that timeline where, like, every kid is into video games and that social aspect. But growing up, it was a little bit of everything, just like I was. Uh, but more so, he's kind of more on like the non-traditional sports side, like rock climbing, snowboarding, skiing, uh, th- those sort of winter activities. I'm not sure that's because he was born in Colorado, lives in Virginia here with me, but he-, he tends to like some of those non-traditional sports better. 
Okay, very cool. Jeff, please take a minute here just to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. All right, let's see here. Uh, in no particular order, right? Grew up in a small town in Iowa. I went to went away to college, played baseball in college. Uh, ended up in Alabama at Troy University. Played baseball there under scholarship and stayed on as a strength coach for a couple years. So that puts you to timeline about 2003 when I joined the Navy. Spent 11 years in the Navy, um, all of which was pretty much in the, in the SEAL teams, other other than like obviously the points in getting through selection stuff. So been out. I've been out since 2013, and I went back to teaching. So like I'm, I'm my, I got my degree in exercise physiology. So ten, essentially, I'm an exercise physiologist uh, with an interesting background in in the military. Awesome. Now, when did fatherhood come into this picture for you, Jeff? Were you on active duty at the time? And how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Yeah, it certainly did. I was I was in the, in the teams at the time. I was It was in between my first and second deployment. It, it wasn't a planned pregnancy. Uh, that doesn't mean it wasn't a wanted pregnancy. It's just to give people just an idea of this, like, ha, ah, surprise kind of thing. And in, and in between... Uh, to deployment, I guess, when we found out. My son was actually born uh, about four months remaining into my second deployment. So I came home for that, actually. I was home for three weeks from my son's birth and went back to deployment, finished out the last six weeks of it. And then uh, I guess, you know, long story short, you know, he, he's, he's been through a lot of those deployments, but he was pretty young for most of them. So he doesn't remember many of them, actually. Did having a son and becoming a dad influence your decision to leave the Navy earlier than maybe you would have had you not become a parent? No, it certainly did. You know, I think it's a, you know, without getting super long with it, it, it certainly contributed in large part to me getting out. And I think that was, I guess, very congruent with, with what, what your podcast is about. My father and mother were were always there for me, like every sporting event that they could, you know, within reason. And my son being now in middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, where to me, and you mentioned sports, sports was such a such an amazing creative outlet for me as a child. And that's what I'm hoping for my son. You know, it may not be sports, you know, he loves to dance thing and those sort of things. So I'm going to support, support that creativity side and not really what sport is. So, you know, bringing the big ship around is, that's what my parents were able to do for me. So I got out because I really want to be there, especially right now, um, for my son to really support that creative timeline that he's in. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I really love about fatherhood, Jeff, is that it forces us to kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable, as you guys in the teams always say. My oldest son became very interested in chess at an early age. I never knew a pawn from a rook, but it forced me to learn and change, and now we all love playing chess in my family, and it's something that I never would have considered uh, had I never become a father. Right, it's interesting because it's like I'm trying to look at the world through like these actually subjective eyes with my son where his grades are amazing. He's, he has already been registered with very high IQ. His behavior in school is good. My point is, is, you know, I think we're very quick to say video games are terrible. But I'm looking at it going, okay, well, he wants his ultimate goal is to be a pilot, a fighter pilot. He wants to buy Raptors. And I'm looking at it going, well, how, how is it that we develop the neurological development to, to a degree outside of physical activity and classroom stuff? Well, I'm looking at video games going, well, it's essentially it's a simulator. So I'm trying to figure out how do I support this 
technological advancement for our kids right now, but also still get them off the off the couch and, and being active. So I'm currently struggling with that a little bit. Yeah, and many of us are struggling with the technology as well. But Jeff, I'm curious to ask you, because you do train and prepare people for high-risk careers, whether that be military or law enforcement. And I, I can understand how that works physically, but how do you prepare men and women for the mental stress of being shot at or being in a combat situation or, or even having people die around you? I mean, uh, you know, simulation is one thing, but how do you kind of prepare people for the reality of that? Well, I think that it's a perspective there's a bit of a shift that has to happen for people like that is that understand that like if you look at sport or you look at the tactical population, what's, what's visibly seen in the media, it's the home runs, the touchdowns, the catastrophes. It's, it's the, it's the crescendos and the climaxes of life. And, but that's not how we develop these things, right? How do we learn to walk? We do it very, in a, hopefully in a very safe manner with our loving parents around us, you know, facilitating that, that walking, like learning anything. It's like we don't, we don't start with calculus. We learn basic, basic, basic mathematics. And so because the visual is like, well, I want, I want the end state. I want to be a Bryce Harper. I want to be a Navy SEAL. Well, the process, people, we, we've, we've, we've basically underemphasized the necessity of a great process now, now, because again, the focal point is the end state. So for me, to answer your question directly is that I put a lot of focus on the process and not the end state because if we can use BUDS as an example, it's a guarantee that the people that show up to that course, there's a guarantee that some will graduate and that process of BUDS will create a seal. So that's, it doesn't just snap the fingers, right? There's a long process even before that to physically prepare. So, again, my, my very long answer is, you know, process and formulating a process and stop looking at the end state. Very well said. And we know, of course, that with BUDS uh, comes a very high attrition rate. But unfortunately, what also has a pretty high failure rate right now is marriages. Many of them are ending in divorce. And the number of kids who are growing up without a father or father figure in the home has skyrocketed here in the United States. And a bit of that has been from men who are just quitting on their family, quitting on their responsibility of being a father. And is there any way that we could apply this never quit mentality to marriage and to family? Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think for me, the answer, the solution, or whatever you want to call it to that sort of, I agree, it's, it's a bit of a pandemic. And that's not a point of judgment because I was equally as guilty with whether it's, you know, being a terrible husband and those sort of things as well. Guilty. Like, I'm not throwing any stones in my glass house. But I, I, I agree. And the only thing that I can say about that where I feel like, Where's my point of impact is I think that subjective behavior is always considered to be, you know, vulnerability and vulnerability is considered to be weak. And I, and I think that that's, that's a twist that we need to start looking at. We go now granted in the, you know, the objective nature of making critical decisions when life matters, like we don't want to take away that objective component, right? We don't want to train that objective component. But we have to understand when it comes to health, right, emotional health, physical health, those are all subjective components, right, love, patience, kindness, creativity. Those are all subjective. 
And it's very strange because, like, there's this amazing creative subjective component of our military, adapt and overcome, mental toughness, all these sort of things that, that manifest themselves. And, and I, I guess, you know, getting off my box just for a second, I think that we have to be okay with making mistakes and saying, hey, I've made, made a mistake. And then because it seems to me now we're in a place where if someone changes their mind, you're a hypocrite. Where it's like, no, 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 I've changed my mind. That's growth, not hypocrisy. But if we're always in a state of changing our mind and constantly changing our mind, yes, that's hypocrisy. But I think that that's what a lot of people are afraid of, and even a relationship is like, I'm changing. After all these years of stress in the military, I'm changing, I'm changing, and I'm afraid to express that to my spouse. And and I think that that's just a, you know, that, that's a point of control that, a lot of us, me in particular, I have and had a hard time giving up that control because I feel vulnerable and I felt weak. Yeah, very well said. That is an open and honest view of yourself. And just swinging it back here to technology for a second, because we both have 12-year-olds who are just about to get into the thick of it here with social media and all the dangers that go along with that. Does your son have social media accounts yet? And how do you kind of handle or monitor all the technology time with him? You know, he, does, he doesn't have uh, any social media accounts outside. Like, he's got, like, an Xbox Live account. It's linked to my stuff so I can see what he's doing. You know, I, I know him. It, it, I'm right at that critical point over the next couple of years or two where he's year, year two where he's going to want these social media accounts. And so, for me, uh, I have a – I would consider, and most people might agree once you get to know me, I have a very interesting relationship with my son, very unique and I mean this to the literal sense. There are zero secrets between my son and I. Like, there are none. And that's just something that I live by completely. Um, I think that communication is, what, is what's most important between my son and I, and we do that. So going, going forward, I will, you know, compromise with, with allowing him to do these things. But if he deceives me, it goes away. That's my rule. That's a strong stance right there, and I have no doubt that you'll hold the line when it comes to that. But what scares me, Jeff, the most about the access to the Internet is the amount of pornography that's available. And no matter how much I try to monitor my son's device, once he's in the schoolyard, any kid with an unchecked device is all it takes, really, to gain access uh, through a simple Google search uh, to videos of very explicit sexual acts that can be very mind-blowing to a kid if it's his first you know, first experience even seeing a naked girl. No, I totally agree, and that's that is right at that that age group too, where we've begun to have that conversation about um, about those topics. And my introduction to my son was this: was like I was like, okay, because you know the net, the note came home from school, sixth grade, saying, hey, the school system is going to begin having talks over the next couple of days on these topics. If you you know agree to them, sign it, send it back to your son or daughter, or whatever. So I did that. He came home, and I was like, all right, let's sit down and talk about everything you talked about. I was like, because the last thing I want to do is to to just assume, I, I, and I mean this out of respect and love for the school system, I can't assume that the school is going to deliver the information that I, that I want to in full. So we basically did a little bit of review, and then we talked about it. It made him embarrassed, and then it made him embarrassed. And I said, all right, here's the deal. I so I go, when you're not embarrassed about this topic, I said, you know, then, then, you know, then and then you're ready maybe to have sex. I said, when you're able to walk into a Walgreens or a CVS 
And I said, you're able to stand there in front of a total stranger, male or female, regardless of age, ask them to buy a box of condoms and have no issues having a conversation with them and buying it in front of them in public. I said, then maybe we'll have that conversation when, you know, when you're ready. I was like, but until then, I was like, your questions come to me. If you have any questions about sex, you come to me. And he was like, not an issue. That's it. He's embarrassed a little bit, but that's, that's the deal. So. I love that philosophy, Jeff. But honestly, uh, just the picture of my son walking up to the counter uh, asking to buy condoms is terrifying here. And like I said, I've got four children, and thank God my daughter is the youngest. She's only four. Um, and uh, when it comes her time to hit that dating scene, I, I may have to call up a few of the SEALs that have been on the show here to help me out. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, there's, I have two rules in life. I have two, I have two unforgivables in my life. You hurt, hurt animals or hurt children. There's, there's no, back, no way back for me. That's awesome, Jeff. And how about discipline when it comes to your son? Are you a spanker, timeout guy? How does a former Navy SEAL handle discipline when it comes to being a father? Man, yeah, like I was, I'm a believer in parochial punishment to an extent, like with purpose. Like my parents would, would, would give me, uh, whoopings, right? But it was, it was very much on the emphasis of you get this once as a reminder, the second time is punishment and it won't happen a third kind of thing. So, my and it's just the way that my father and mother are just super consistent and, and that that's what i learned is when my parents said don't do this they meant it and there wasn't well little jeff can do, no here's the rules you broke them here's your punishment so be consistent is my is my number one rule number two make the punishment something that you can you can stick to as a parent because we can get all fired up and go, you're grounded for a month, and you're like, that's just so not reasonable, right? When it's just really, it's like, you know what? This Saturday, when you're supposed to go with your friend, you're not going now, and you're going to help me around the house. That's far more effective. So be consistent. Make your punishments manageable. I did do spankings, and those ended very quickly because he was, my son was too smart. He would just look at me afterwards, and he would protest. He would turn his shirt inside out would cross his arms and just stare at me. He was pretty smart. So um, now now it's just be consistent and hold him accountable when he makes promises. That's, that's, what, he, that's what we deal with at 12. All right, that's great advice right there. How about, Jeff, for the parents who have kids that are getting ready to graduate high school maybe this year and they're talking about wanting to pursue a career in law enforcement or military, uh, what kind of advice could you drop on those parents? I would say number point of, number one is, but I, like the rule that I have for my son is, you know, that, that the military, the law enforcement, the fire department, whatever it may be, whatever civil servant, that is not a fallback plan, right? You are going to get your education. Um, my, my rule to my son is, is you are going to start college. At that point, that's it. That's it. After that year, you can make a decision, but you are going to do a year of college and make a decision as an adult on your own because at that point, Dad's not there anymore. You're on your own. Um, so that's that's what I tell parents is that like be there to support your kids, right? And also understand that if you are adamantly against what your kids want to do, and they're adamantly opposed to what you want to do, there's, there's a bigger there's a bigger issue than what they want to do. So I would say get to know your parents. Ask your kids. Ask ask them. They're smart. Why is it you want to do this? And let them have it. If they can't find an answer, keep asking them. You know, I think that why, no matter what they do, 
But that why is crucial if you're going to be a civil servant. It's, it's imperative, that why. Now discuss that why. And you, might, you as a parent might find out that it's something we're supporting, or you might do exactly what you are. You know, as a worried parent, their self-discovery, they may start consider reconsider something else. Get to know their why. Good stuff. All right. You've had a lot of success in your life already. Navy SEAL career in the books. What's next for Jeff Nichols? What kind of goals do you have for the future? My goals. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I used to have like these big ideas in my head of what I wanted to accomplish. And for me, that's, uh, that's not even in my head anymore. For me, my, my goals for the immediate future, the next three months, year is just keep trying to help as many people as I can that are under service, right? Whatever that means for our military, for our law enforcement, for our firefighters. And then, you know, within, I want to develop friendships, real friendships and communities across the country in those departments so I can help them find resources. Like, that's my big thing. I just want to get to know many as good people as I can so I can help them or find people that can help them. That's my goal. Very cool. All right, last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Jeff. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? I would say that, you know, for, for especially for a, for a new father, there is, if, if you're not afraid, like if you think you shouldn't be afraid, like that's, everyone's super afraid. There's no instruction manual, of course, and that's super cliche, but I can under, you can understand that on a serious note, regardless of where you came from as a child, like whatever your parents were to you, good, bad to you, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, if you look back and you dislike your parents, right, this is an opportunity to break that chain. Right? If you look at your parents like I did and go, man, my parents are, my mother's still alive, my father's passed, I had some amazing parents. This is an opportunity for me as a father to make my parents very proud. So make a choice. Very well said. Great advice. This has been an honor for me. Uh, Jeff Nichols, I got to say you are a first-class father. Thank you for your service, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. You bet. You have a wonderful day. Okay, back with some closing thoughts in just a second here. Veterans for Child Rescue. Veterans for Child Rescue is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to assist law enforcement to eliminate domestic minor sex trafficking. Their strategy involves educating the public, raising awareness through media, training law enforcement, and empowering our children. Find out how you can join the fight to end child sex trafficking today by visiting vetsforchildrescue.org. All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a combat veteran who served with the elite U.S. Navy SEAL teams. He is a warrior and a hero. It is a great honor for me to say, Ryan Bates, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. How's it going? Okay, how many kids do you have and how old are they? So I have only one kid, two years old. Just turned two in uh, January 9th. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's freaking awesome. You know, I waited until I was a little bit older until I had a baby. Awesome. Ryan, please take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Well, I was, uh, I was in the military from 1999-2011, uh, and uh, I was a Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 1, trade it, stuff like that, and then uh, did my last deployment to Afghanistan. I was a sniper there, and then 
me and a bunch of people got out and we started doing anti-piracy through uh, Somalia uh, for about three years. Um, made a bunch of good money doing that. Pretty much didn't come back to America and then uh, saved up a bunch of money and then built two bar and restaurants, sold those, and now I just protect uh, a, a wealthy man out of Las Vegas. So um, kind of uh, it seems like every three years moving to another uh, another awesome chapter. But yeah, the, uh, I met my wife uh, my last one of the last trips I went to on the Somalian pirate thing, and um, and we've been together for about six years, and then got married about two and a half years ago, and uh, literally like three weeks after uh, we got married, boom, she's pregnant. So it was quick, quick and fast into uh, family life. Yeah, that's very cool. You've had so many experiences in your life being all over the world. How did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? Oh, man, it changed it huge. You know, it's funny. It's like I always say, I don't know if I could have been, I would have gone into the SEAL teams or done any of the crazy stuff I did prior to having a um, son now that I have a son. Just, you know, they're like sponges. So the more you're around them, the more they soak up who you are. And, uh, you know, in the team life and contracting life, you're gone so much. You know, it's kind of a, a mother-raised uh, mother raised kid. But I'm fortunate enough to kind of have that chapter done in my life and then uh, be around for my son every day. So it's uh, – and I, I work right now two weeks on, two weeks off. Uh, which is perfect. You know, he doesn't see me for two weeks, but then he gets all of me for the next two weeks. So, and then uh, my wife, she announces for ESPN and and a couple other things. So usually she kind of plans most of her trips on the second ha- half when I'm off, and uh, I just put uh, my son Hunter in my backpack and uh, and we cruise and watch mom announce and uh, and just travel and nanny. <laughs> awesome. Did you guys have any kind of gender reveal party, or did you wait until the end to find out? No, we we went we went and uh, I'm all I'm all about proper planning. So uh, we did the uh, the blood test thing like literally like two weeks after she we knew she was pregnant, and then I you know start planning for the boy coming in. So we knew right away. Okay, very cool. Now listen, I, I've had a bunch of seals on the podcast here, and it seems like the majority of them have girls. Uh, you got the boy right out of the gate. So do you kind of uh, break some of their chops over that? Yeah, my you know what's funny is uh, my whole family. The basic side, all they have is boys nonstop. So I was uh, I, my uh, my freaking genes must have been strong enough to overcome the seal uh, uh, still <laughs> still <seal> stigma. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! I've seen you on Instagram sporting that kangaroo carrier thing. Uh, do you feel secure with the kid in that? Because uh, I've been tempted with all four of my kids to use it, but I could never really trust it enough. Are, are you cautious when he's in it? No, I, I liked it. And so the front carry, I did that for a while. Now I have a back carry, an Osprey that I carry, and I throw him in the back there because literally we, we're freaking on the go. I think he's been on like 36 plane flights in two years now. So he's, uh, he's moving and scooting with me. So I throw him in my backpack now. It's, yeah, Osprey makes an awesome one. And uh, throw a binky in his mouth, and we just start cruising. Damn, he's racking up the uh, frequent flyer miles there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's cool because, like, it makes him kind of a worldly baby. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they need structure, stay at home. I, I like taking them out there, throwing them in the mix. He meets so many people all the time. You know, he's, uh, he's kind of like head of his ears, it seems like, already, you know, too. So he's, he's cool with anyone, doesn't really cry um, when people, other people are around him and stuff like that. So it's, it's badass. And the most, most of the uh, things that my wife goes to, you know, there's, uh, she works a lot for Monster Energy. And the Monster Energy girls are always around too, so he's digging that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you um do you use one of those strollers to run with the kids, the ones that they make there for the joggers? Do you put them in that and run? You know, I I freaking I run with them at that backpack on my back like a rucksack run. Um, 
I do, we do like, uh, you know, now he's, he's getting good. So I, I'll do maybe like a four mile run with him on the on my back, and then uh, and I put him down, and maybe the last mile and a half, he'll he'll run himself. So uh, he's uh, he's a pretty he's a stud man. He's, he's a jacked little baby. My wife was a uh, a three time uh, top three in the world Miss Olympia for uh, bikini model. So she's got good genes and pretty ripped up, and I'm pretty good shape. So the kid's a, a little beast, man. <laughs> he sounds like a little Hercules already, this guy. Uh, has he discovered technology at all yet, Ryan? Is he swiping screens already and all that? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got his little movies that he watches, and then uh, if I ever call, he can answer the phone and FaceTime me. So isn't that crazy? Like, I mean, you know, me, me at two years old, I guarantee he wasn't like that. The kids, you know, the way I grew up, the way my dad grew up, is not that much different, you know? But the way my son's going to grow up to the way I grow up, grew up, it's going to be a whole world of difference, you know? So it's, uh, it's kind of a, a compounding, quick, uh, moving world these days. And kids are catching on pretty quick. It is amazing to have access to some of this stuff. I use that FaceTime thing myself when I'm working at nights or two days in a row. It's just really incredible. Yeah, it's, it's awesome because you stay relevant in life every day. You know, by, by back in the day when it was just, you know, maybe you get a phone call here and there, and maybe you could send a letter, that kind of thing, you know. So it's I'm I'm pretty uh, grateful about that stuff. But, you know, me and my wife, we're pretty uh, hardcore about, uh, you know, making them an active kid. Like most kids, I feel like these days, stay inside and play with shit. But we get him outside and moving and grooving constantly. So he's, uh, he's um, you know, we'll get him into hiking and hunting at a young age, that kind of stuff. So so no, not too much iPad, not too much uh, phone when he, as he grows. Yeah, that's one thing that's definitely different now is that organized sports are a lot more popular. When I was a kid, it was really just primarily Little League and Pop Warner, but uh, we played a ton of street ball where we made the rules and handled all the disputes without parents or coaches or refs. Uh, are you going to get him involved in organized sports? I know that many kids, I mean, my own kids started playing soccer as young as four years old. You know, it's funny. I, I started wrestling at four or five years old. My dad got me into that, and, and wrestling was such a, uh, a big sport that toughened me up through the years. And I think one of the main reasons I crushed, you know, Buds and becoming a SEAL is because of that. You know, uh, um, it's just a it's a sport that uh, that kind of puts you on. You can't hide behind a team. You got to kind of battle the guy in front of you. And so I'm gonna I've already started wrestling with my boy now. I'll come in. I'll be like wrestle. He'll tie up with me. And we'll throw him around a little bit. But uh, I'll get him into that as soon as he can. As soon as he's uh, as soon as he's four years old. All right. Now, has any of your uh, Navy SEAL training helped you with any of these sleepless nights, or has he been good for you so far? Oh no, he's, he's pretty good. But uh, but yeah, in the beginning, boy, it was a it was a rough one. You know, because I worked, what I did is I worked about three months straight in uh, in doing my protection stuff. So I got three months off, and the guys covered me for the. So I got the first three months he was born to just hang at home and uh, help my wife, which uh, you know we always live in places where we don't have family around, so it's we're kind of a self self-sufficient on her own so I was able to I took the night so she would she would go and uh up to 10 o'clock I would take 10 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the morning through the night and then uh so that way she would just pump milk and then uh, I would wake up every couple hours to feed him but uh but yeah it was definitely it was definitely a little bit of a hell week uh, or hell month <laughs> I'd say for sure uh, when he first got going but I you know what I love it you know it's it's a I always think that you know Kind of growing up, or when I was uh, in the teens, I never thought I'd get married or really have a kid. You know, I thought uh, I'd just keep uh, living this war style of life. But then I kind of figured out, you know, your kid is uh, is really the only thing you'll leave behind that'll pick up on your uh, attributes. And you know, so everything you've learned in your life, all the lessons that you've uh, 
you know, that you've fucked up on and made you or whatever and uh, did well and stuff, you're going to pass on to that kid, and, he, and he's the only one that's going to carry it on in your life. So um, so not having a kid is kind of you're just going to live and die. Nobody will remember your name, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of the way I look at it, you know, is, uh, is he's going to pick up where I left off and take take the name a little bit further. What was it like, Ryan, serving in the teams as a single guy or just not having any kids and then also serving with guys who were parents? Was there any kind of separation? Did those guys, like, stick together more? And did you guys that didn't have kids say, hey, uh, we'll go and take this one because, uh, you know, we don't have any kids or anything like that? No, you know, it's it's not like that. You're all about your team. You're, you know, your buddies. So, you know, the guys that had kids, they just didn't get to see their kids that much, you know. So, um, you know, even when you're home, you gotta you gotta hang with the boys, you know, and have that uh, brotherhood, the camaraderie. And really, when you're on, when you're when you're a team, you're contract, you're gone eight. Even if you're in the states, you're still gone eight to ten months out of the year. You know, you're only training in different spots. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, seal uh, seal wives are you know pretty strong women because they pretty much gotta hold down the fort and raise the kids on their own. And uh, and that's why I'm just fortunate that I didn't I didn't have kids during that time. Just because uh, I want my I want my son to be like me, and if if I'm never around, he doesn't even know what to uh, you know what to be like, kind of thing. So I don't know. I, having a father in your life every day is, I think, definitely key for bringing up a good kid. Yeah, Ryan, that's a great point, and it's definitely one of the biggest problems, in my opinion, that we're facing in this country, in our society, is the fatherless problem. The statistics are overwhelming. Not that kids that grow up with only a mom can't find success; many of them do. Uh, but the far majority of kids who are growing up without a father figure, they're having devastating results. And I think if we could just get back to celebrating fatherhood and family values and supporting our family units, I think most of these problems that we're seeing in our country, in our society, would start to go away. Yeah, and, you know, I, I also think, like, in, in you know, uh, raising a kid so he's not a little, you know, a little stupid head or whatever, you know, being around every day, they just naturally become good kids, you know, with a mom and dad and seeing how you treat your wife. I mean, all that stuff matters. I mean, I never, I never really realized how much of a sponge they are. But here, this is a good story. So, like, I'll, I'll come down every morning, you know, and uh, my wife will be down there. I'll go and I'll slap her on the butt and give her a kiss, you know. <laughs> my son will get out of bed, walk downstairs, stretch a little bit, go smack mom on the butt. I was like, no, no, man. <laughs> I was like, dang it. But, yeah, they'll, they copy and emulate everything you do. So if you're a good person and you you know you treat your wife good and you work hard, I mean they're going to be the same thing too, too you know. And if you're not there, then they they'll pick up on whoever's around, you know. So um, I truly believe that. So it's you know your kids your number one investment in life, you know. So. Well said. Yeah. And that usually happens at the worst opportune time. Your kid will uh, mimic something that you did and, and then there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, the newest thing, you know, we, me and my wife, we work hard. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she's got a, she's got a company on her own and we work and, you know, we'll have, we'll shoot out the little cuss word here and there. And he's at that age where he starts picking it up. So we, we have to keep each other honest on that right now. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the hardest uh, transitions for me. I'm a railroader myself, and to switch that language on and off, it's very difficult. I'm sure it was the same for you in the Navy. <laughs> Mouth of a sailor, for sure. <laughs> are you guys uh, working on number two now, or are you one and done? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Always practice, man. I'm, we're always hits for that number two. Right now, we it's kind of our push time where we uh, – um, you know, when when I had Hunter, we weren't stressed at all. You know, I had uh, two bar and restaurants, and they're crushing it. You know, worked a little bit. It was a little bit more relaxed. But now my wife, is, she has a company called Salty Honey that's uh, just freaking crushing it right now. Plus, she announces, and then I'm working, and uh, 
plus we're like, I think we're, we have, uh, we have, uh, three, uh, uh quad plexes and then, uh, a couple homes we're about ready to buy. So I think we're a little overly stressed right now. So it's, uh, it's for some reason it's a little bit harder to get pregnant right now, but we're about ready to calm it down here and then really get, get to work. Okay, that's the fun part. Uh, now, I know that a lot of you guys in the teams catch a lot of backlash for being out of the shadows and into the public eye. As a civilian, I think that it's awesome that we have access to so many of your mindsets and your way of life. So many SEALs have come out with books. It's pretty hard to find one that I haven't read. Is that something that you're working on? Or are you considering coming out with a book of your own? No, I don't think I'll ever come out with a book. What I actually thought about doing, though, is making a little memoirs. Because, you know, we have, I have so many stories that I that I've done in my life. You know, we all do. But uh, I would like something to write something down and, like, keep it just for my son to show his son and so on and so on. You know, like, uh, this is what, you know, your grandpa did or this is what your dad did. So I think I'm going to start. I've already started doing it, writing our little, my little stories down so I don't forget them. <laughs> and then uh, and you'll remember more and more and then kind of keep just a little memoirs for my, uh, for my son and his family to come. But, no, I will never publish anything. I don't, I don't really like... Uh, um, you know, I, I don't really like making money off the trident, if that makes sense. You know, it's, uh, um, I'm not saying that the guys that do it, I don't judge them at all. It's just for me, my own kind of, uh, factor, like, uh, you know, as soon as I got out, I made money contract and, you know, I saved a shitload of money and then went right to, I built a bar from scratch, built it from the ground up and it crushed it. And I built the next one and crushed it too. And then I took all, sold it, took all that money and, and put them into a bunch of, uh, um, rentals pretty much. So I'm, I'm just a rent collector now, but I never, I never wanted to uh, use my experience through the teams to actually make, um, make my fortune off. But I like, I kind of take it as a challenge to, to not use it and go, go off on my own and, uh, and try to reinvent myself. Yeah, I can appreciate where you're coming from, Ryan, for sure. But the way I see it, I don't think you guys get enough money for wearing that trident. And the money that you do get from it, I think, is very well deserved. Especially, you know, let's face it, we live in a country here where guys are getting paid $250 million to hit a baseball or throw a football. I think that's a little unbalanced. Uh, but I think it's so beneficial to our society uh, t- to listen to your guys' philosophies. I'm definitely delighted to see some of you guys getting involved in politics. Uh, I think we definitely need your voices in Washington for sure. What's his name out of Texas? Crushing it. Oh, he's killing it. I love the fact that he's in there. <laughs> he's, he's, dude, he's so, I'm, I hope that guy gets to be president one day, man. He's, he's freaking, he was a new guy when I was on my second platoon. I, I kind of remember, I think I went out one time and uh, met him while we were drinking, but you know, you don't, you know, a lot of times the new guys come in and you don't remember their names, but I remember him though. Yeah. Is politics something you would ever consider jumping into, Ryan? No, no, I'm going to, uh, you know the the guy protects or whatever. He's uh, he uh, treats me like family, and uh, a lot of my uh, a lot of what I've done in life as far as business, um, it's because of him. He kind of he didn't give me any money, but he pointed me in the right direction and gave me a lot of mentoring. And uh, for me, all these wealthy people that I've met, these billionaires, the less stressed guys are always the guys that own uh, shitloads of uh, real estate. So. Um, you know, it takes a little bit to get into it, you know, good bankroll, but it starts compounding on yourself. So I'm going to just keep buying real estate and then, uh, you know, have a, have a kind of a nest egg for when my son gets older and then he can kind of pick up where I left off. And that's kind of what they all do. Like the, uh, the fracks, the, the really wealthy guys that own half of, half of Brooklyn, freaking half of Manhattan, those guys, you know, it's like four or five generations of, uh, people's building on, on the foundation that their father left behind. So that's kind of what, my plan is, you know, for that. So keep keep kind of more quiet and just build a little uh, empire for my family. 
Wow, yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, all right, last thing I want to hit you with here, Ryan. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. You're two years into this, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What type of advice do you have for the new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? My main advice is treat that boy or girl like your, your lifetime investment. Um, everything that, that you are, they will be if you choose to put your time and energy into it. So, uh, so look at it as your end-all, be-all investment and, um, and uh, treat it accordingly. Yeah, awesome. I love the advice. You are a first-class father all the way. This was a true honor for me. I got to say, Ryan Bates, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Sounds good, sir. Nice to talk to you. Okay, I'm back wrapping things up in just a second here. All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He is a former Navy SEAL and combat veteran. He is the host of the Team Never Quit podcast. His unique high-impact and emotional style of speaking, writing, and coaching helps all types of people gain a Navy SEAL-style focus towards high performance, physically, mentally, and spiritually. It is a very big honor for me to say, David Rutherford, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. My brother, thank you so much for having me on. I'm Like I was just saying... Shortly before we started, I cannot believe that you are lowering the standards of your show by having me on with such an incredible group of dudes that you've had on so far. (laughs) So thank you. All right. Humble as always. I love it. This is a true honor for me. Uh, So let's get it started like this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have uh, now, now that I just recently was blessed by getting engaged, I have uh, four daughters uh, starting at 11 then eight, seven, and six. Okay, very cool. What type of uh, sports or activities are they all into? Let's see. My oldest one is just really exploring the opportunity. So she's currently playing lacrosse. This year she's played soccer. Um, uh, what else? She played volleyball, which she truly loved. Um, and then my next two, the eight and seven, are uh, engaged in soccer primarily, uh, and the the youngest one is uh, really hasn't kind of found her way yet. She hasn't been in anything organized yet. But um, the, and then two out of the four are into surfing. Uh, my biological two, and I'm trying to get the other two. Um, and then uh, for obvious reasons, uh, you know they. We play basketball. We play. I mean, you know, my fiance was a former uh, captain of the women's Division One uh, field hockey team uh, at University of Maine, and then I played Division One lacrosse at Penn State. So sports are a huge part of our world. Wow, that's awesome! Now, do you get in there and get involved with coaching at all with the soccer and the lacrosse, or do you kind of uh, you know enjoy it all from the sideline? I, you know, I have based on. All of my uh, my friends that are much older than that have been into it for a while, I, I am making the decision to step back. Plus, with my travel schedule uh, and how much I'm on the road, you know, speaking or doing performance coaching with actual sports teams and college teams, uh, it makes it very difficult for me to be able to uh, adhere to that level of commitment. Yeah, I can understand that. All right, David, please take a minute here just to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. All right. Um, Again, you know, I I was in the SEAL teams uh, as a medic and operator instructor, Uh, worked for Blackwater for several years as an international curriculum development guy and trainer, 
Uh, and then I worked for the CIA for four years, two years training case officers, and then two years as a high threat protection specialist. I started my company called Frog Logic Concepts in 2006 after a pretty substantial experience in my second trip to Afghanistan dealing with kids uh, and wrote my first book in spring of 2006 for kids to help kids to teach them self-confidence in, in, in order to manage the difficulties of, of, uh, of life itself. Uh, since then, my organization has grown uh, to where I probably do anywhere from 60 to 70 speaking events a year from, you know, mom and pie was just with the largest uh, pork farmers of Iowa to, you know, Wells Fargo, UBS, you name it. Um, and then I also do performance coaching. Uh, spent the last three years working with the Boston Red Sox, culminating with the World Series last year. I worked with the UPenn football team, a couple of Ivy League championships there, and then Oregon State Beavers last year in their collegiate World Series in baseball, and I'm with them again this year. And then I'm also working with the Penn State men's lacrosse team. They're currently ranked number one in the country as well. Um, and then uh, I do a, a pretty decent-sized little podcast uh, with a brother of mine, Marcus Luttrell, Lone Survivor, who you had on. Uh, and it's called the Team Never Quit Podcast. And uh, so the podcast is speaking. I write books for kids and adults. And then, uh, you know, social media, and that's it, man. Yeah, very cool. You have had an incredible journey, David. And one of the things that I, one of the many things that I admire about your community is that philosophy of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think for most men who don't serve in such a high, you know, elite level of the military, I think that for the first time we ever get forced to get comfortable being uncomfortable is true fatherhood, especially in the beginning stages of changing diapers and being up all night and everything that goes along with the, you know, a newborn. So, uh, when did you go through all this? How old were you when you first became a dad and how did becoming a father change your perspective on life? It was substantial. Uh, for me, I was still operational, and um, I remember I was working for the agency, and I was uh, traveling overseas, and I missed most of the pregnancy. You know, she was born. Uh, 30 days later, I was back out the door for 75 days and on and off for the next basically year and a half. So initially for me, fatherhood uh, and the – the concept of fatherhood was split, um, mostly with my dedication being towards, you know, working for the agency, and that took priority. Um, it wasn't until my ex was, you know, basically said, you know, stop doing it or we're done, that uh, I was home, you know, after that, starting in really January 2012. And it was really over the course of the next couple of years, we had our second child, another daughter. And that's where my frame of mind and what it meant to be a father really began to change. Um, because I, you know, I was able to, you know, keep a distance from that reality by being, you know, still in the life of carrying a gun for a living. Um, but when you're, you know, home and you're around it day in and day out, although I, I, you know, even then I was traveling a bunch with the speaking, um, you're still, it's, it's much more relative to the demands on your own psyche. And, and that's where I began to recognize that, you know, the 15 years of, of, of carrying a gun for a living and that mindset was not very conducive to being a good father. 
Yeah, you know, David, that's another one of those things that in the civilian world we kind of take for granted. It's another one of the major sacrifices that are being made by men and women of our military, that strain that it does have and it puts on your personal relationships with your spouse, with your kids. Um, It's another reason why I say thank you for your service and your sacrifice. Um, And now listen, with all the motivational speaking that you do around the world, how do the concepts that you speak about relate to fatherhood? Uh, Pretty simple. Um, uh, So what... When Frog Logic started, it started as a result of, of me wanting to help children. And initially it was kids in war zones to try and uh, be able to uh, implement some ideas that would help them maintain self-confidence in a world that was utterly dysfunctional and, and there was, wasn't a lot of out, you know, positive outlook for them. Unfortunately for me, uh, the the mindset of a special operations guy and the mindset of the an NGO uh, weren't too conducive, so I opted to uh, initiate trying to do work here in the country. And so, you know, in 2006, seven, and going into eight, you know, I worked with a, a little right around 7,000 kids um, in North America speaking, and then did programs, individual programs for foster care homes and you know, other groups of, of small groups of kids. Um, it was, uh, the, the main idea was self-confidence. Now, since then, Frog Logic has, has grown and evolved to where I focus on four main ideas, uh, whether I'm working with kids, I'm working with um, my, uh, you know, corporations, teams, whatever. And the four fundamental pillars of Frog Logic are learning how to embrace fear, forging your self-confidence every day in the face of the negative insurgency, living a team life, which is a comprehensive team orientation, and then living with purpose, ultimately trying to understand why am I here and, and what is my meaning. Yeah, so cool. I love what you're doing there. And now listen, in this country, we are facing a fatherless problem. I talk about all the time on the podcast here how I think that uh, there's an attack on fatherhood, just the way dads are being portrayed incorrectly in the movies and on TV. I'm not sure if you're seeing that or, you know, what effect you think that's having on our society. But you know what I'm curious is what are some of the differences that you've noticed about fathers and families maybe overseas as opposed to fathers over here? Um. You know, I, 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 you know, obviously my perspective on overseas culture has have been primarily in war zones or in and around, you know, uh, individuals that were part of a military, but, you know, culturally were radically different uh, than, you know, our Judeo-Christian uh, Western societies. Uh, I, you know, so I don't, I don't, my perspective on that, I, you know, is not that good, um, uh, but I will say, you know, my perspective here, since I originally started doing research on child development in, in 2005 and six, has, um, to say the least, it's, it's, I believe that, um, we're, we're, we're definitely in a, in a moment of strain where those core values and, um, kind of moral characteristics that, have you know pre nineteen sixty five were you know the foundation of 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 all uh, most a lot of upbringing now I, I will say this that you know a lot of how you know young boys were raised or young girls were raised by their fathers back then was was dysfunctional as well too uh, in terms of the lack of emotional intelligence that was relevant, but I also think that you know there's a demasculization going on societally 
for, especially within the entertainment world and, and, and a lot of media that's being thrust down our, our, our throats, uh, that there is a concept that, hey, you know, these core values uh, that are relative to a, a, the, the old school paternal influence are, are under attack. Now, at what level? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I think we, like all media sources, we can, we can um, inflate uh, the issue. But uh, what I'm definitely seeing it in terms of the, the, the biggest pieces that I see it with the kids that I still work with, and I still work with a lot of kids uh, on a regular basis, including my own, um, I see that the resilience piece is, is, is really um, the, the greatest challenge that our, our youth are facing. Yeah, and one of the biggest problems that go along with that, David, is this every kid gets a trophy mentality that most dads are sick and tired of, and you parlay that with this attack on masculinity, and then the child having no father figure in the home. I mean, it's a recipe for disaster, and the stats all back that up, and that's why I think it's so important for kids to have a two-parent household or at least a dad that's a big part of the kid's upbringing because, I mean, it really does take a village to raise a child. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the fundamental requirements from children, you know, from day one is, is you know, the basics, food, water, protection, clothing, and then it's it's the sense of security to explore their surroundings and environment. And then, you know, the support and knowledge and wisdom to be able to, uh, you know, expand the, that environment as, as they get older and most especially within relationships, right? That's where all great challenges truly exist or, or cultivating healthy relationships and, and navigating relationships that are dysfunctional as a result of what other influences the, the people you choose to be friends or not friends with. Um, so, you know, I, I, what's interesting to me is really not so much um, that, you know, this is occurring, but it's occurring, people acknowledge it, and, and, you know, people from our generation were acknowledging, but yet there's not a lot of people out there rogering up to be mentors. There's not a lot of people rogering up to offer their time outside of their own requirements with their own business or their own work life or their own family life to go beyond that and offer their wisdom at whatever level it is, uh, either as a coach or an actual mentor or teacher or whatever. It's just, uh, you know, I, I think I blame our generation, as a matter of fact, for just kind of the, the inability to get out there and, 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 like you said, to be uncomfortable and to offer yourself to a, a kid, you know, boy or girl, you don't even know. Yeah, and I think it's been well documented that service to others leads to greatness and just trying to find a way to add value to the community. But I think this younger generation is struggling a bit with that because they're growing up with this social media era where it's all self-gratification. It looks good all the time. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm eating. Look what I'm wearing. And um, I, I think that that whole phony Facebook lifestyle and all this technology, it, it's a struggle for a lot of us parents right now. So, I mean, how do you kind of handle YouTube, video games, uh, all the technology with your kids? They, none of none of our kids are are connected to anything uh, via technology that allows them to interact with the outside world. Our oldest just recently was able to we allowed her to participate with TikTok, um, but we have a very strict 
she only can do one video a day, you know, two a day or three a day on weekends. We monitor everybody she's connected to. We monitor what they're watching. Um, you know, so anything they are participating on on via uh, app, uh, iPads, and that's the only thing they have, um, is is you know is very kind of benign, if you will, in terms of those uh, so, you know sociological uh, requirements. Um, I, I, we are beginning to see some effects of, of bullying in school on a low end with one of our kids. You know, we're starting to see with our fifth grader that there's, you know, some initial adolescent crushes that are going on, which are, uh, you know, um, are causing, or I should say, blessing us with some wonderful dialogues. We just had one last night for about a half hour. Uh, and, and, and what, so I, we both feel very comfortable and confident with where we're at now. You know, that's not to say uh, as they all get older and they start doing sleepovers or whatever and they're, they go over to their friend's house who have every device known, they're on Snapchat, they're texting that, you know, things won't change. But right now we're, we're very strict on, on keeping that stuff uh, at a distance from them. Very cool. How about discipline, David? I always love to ask dads about their discipline styles, especially you frogmen. What type of disciplinarian are you as a father, and does it change between your biological children and your fiancé's kids, which now you consider your own? Um, I, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing for us, we're very fortunate. Um, uh, my fiancé has, has done disciplines in a very similar way that I do. Uh, so that crossover with her girls and mine uh, has be, has been pretty seamless. We were, you know, she comes from a family. Her parents have been together 39 years. She has uh, three other boy, you know, uh, men siblings. Um, and so, you know, she's from a, a little town in Maine, and you know, and and you know, discipline was a significant part of their upbringing. Uh, much much more so than in mine. I, I I got away with murder because of athletics, um, but so I you know our discipline is is if if there's if they don't we you know we really drill down on on manners. Um, we drill down on res- being respectful. We drill down on um, uh, being accountable for your things. Uh, in yourself, you know, I inspect beds every morning or try to, um, we, you know, we have, you know, good table manners, really just drilling down on the basics. Um, and so, uh, those, those things are, um, you know, are substantial. Plus we have, you know, we have 17 rules that, you know, we've, we've created that the girls pretty much recite every time we're driving them to school. And so these, these rules are, uh, they enable the girls to kind of uh, start developing their framework. Now, I will say, you know, I'm a former Navy SEAL, so often, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll lose my temper enough to where I'll raise my voice unnecessarily in a circumstance because I get frustrated. Um, we do fun disciplinary things like push-ups and air squats if they do their thing. But uh, in, in harsh discipline, we'll, you know, we'll isolate, um, uh, let them calm down, and then go in for the teaching moment afterwards. 
Okay, and you have been in the podcasting game for quite a long time now. You're currently hosting the Team Never Quit podcast with Marcus. I've had the honor of both, you know, meeting Marcus in person and having him on the show here. Uh, what was the genesis of the Team Never Quit podcast, and what can listeners expect when they tune in? Uh, I, you know, I, I I started podcasting in 2013, so I was in the game real early. I used to have wow. a podcast called Navy Seal Radio that I did for two years. And, and developed a pretty good following there. And then it was, you know, the Latrells had reached out to me. We were at a uh, charity softball game, and, you know, Marcus really wanted to come off the road as much as he was doing. And they knew I had, had been running a pretty successful show, and so they asked me to do one with them. And as I began developing the concept for it, uh, I, you know, it was really just keeping it uh, simple and to go along with the brand that they had created and, you know, this idea and concept about this never quit mindset. And so what I figured the easiest thing to do and, and to make it, you know, where the listener would, would be able to take away the most, um, the most uh, um, profound insights would be to just have people on from all walks of life, military to actors, politicians, CEOs, whatever, and even listeners. We have listeners that, that write in stories all the time. Come on. They share their greatest never quit story and, you know, where it started, how they, what they learned from it, how they implement it in their lives. And that was, that was the premise. And, you know, it was crazy. It just took off within, you know, our first six months, we were nominated in 16 as uh, one of iTunes top podcasts of the year. So, yeah, David, and I'll tell you what, I think it's incredibly beneficial to our society that the civilian world has access to the Navy SEAL community just through the books, podcasts, movies, even social media. I mean, we get this sort of intimate look at your mindsets and your philosophies, but I do understand that some of you guys take some slack for coming out of the shadows, so be it. Uh, but that may be dying down a bit as more and more of you guys are coming out with you know new projects. How was your transition with this? Did you face any kind of uh, backlash when you hit the public scene? I, I, mine, I, mine has always been great. I've, I've faced a couple things here and there from guys, but I, I think because, you know, people who know me and know my background, I'm not out there espousing to be some, you know, profound, uh, you know, operator that has 450 missions like Rob and I, certainly didn't have any part or anything to do with bin Laden and no, I don't have a lone survivor story. So I didn't focus on any of that stuff. Um, and I'm, and I've always been very clear to say, Hey, uh, you know, what I'm doing is I've extrapolated the things that I believe are common across, uh, all planes of the human condition. And that are things that can be implemented in anybody's life. Um, and which with a little bit of, uh, uh, insight and dedication that they can, you know, give themselves the greatest opportunity to, to, you know, face difficult situations and persevere. And that's why I called it frog logic. Um, I, you know, I started with kids. So that certainly, you know, softened the blow, so to speak, because, you know, I've been out there doing it since 06, which is, you know, a lot longer than most other, other guys have been doing it. Um, so I think for me, um, and, and I think the insight people have, have been mostly, you know, I'd say 95% supportive 
of me and how I do it. Plus, I, you know, I, 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 I just, if, if people are doing it in a positive way, then, I, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. And it, what, what gets me is when the infighting starts and, you know, people start tearing each other down for no reason at all. And, you know, people are always think, you know, the, the one thing you always hear is people are proselytizing the trident and trying to get ahead. And, you know, I, I've never thought of myself as doing, I certainly use my trident to open the door. But once I get in, man, all these concepts, all the ideas are, are you know, it's my own opinion. And, uh, you know, hopefully people understand that. And, you know, I'm not out there saying, oh, this guy's an idiot because he he's only he's only done this and he's never done that. I, that's just not me. So I think people, for the most part, have been uh, open and warm and supportive to what I'm doing, which I'm very, very grateful for, as you know, uh, to, to or, you know, one, to earn the respect of your community and then to keep it long term is uh, is a privilege and an honor. Well said. And if it was up to me, I've said this before, I would make it mandatory that every SEAL, once they come out of the teams, should have to write their autobiography, just because I think it does benefit so many people. Uh, but all right, you've had so many accomplishments. You've got a lot going on right now. What's next for David Rutherford here? I know you've got a fiance. Any more kids in the future for you? What kind of goals or plans do you have? Yeah, I mean, my, my number one priority is over the next uh, several years is is really to get to a point where I can be much more involved in my kids' lives. You know, like I said, I, I'm on the road a tremendous amount. I've been on the road almost six straight weeks now. Um, and, you know, that that's challenging. I, 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 I carry with me a profound amount of guilt um, about missing a lot of things in their lives. So my main focus is to figure out how to, streamline my business uh, in a way where I can generate some revenue, you know, and, and I don't have to leave. Uh, so whether that, you know, whatever creative process that I need to adjust and I am adjusting that I think uh, I'm going to do that. I, you know, I still love working uh, with teams. I, I really enjoy that. Um, you know, I'm going to absolutely continue podcasting. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, but the big one for me is time with my family. That really matters most to me. Uh, and I'm, you know, they're all in that very critical age, those very critical transitions from, you know, child development to young adolescent. And as you already referenced the need and necessity to have a father, a significant father figure in, in the picture is profound. Uh, and so I'm I'm going to adhere to to that that requirement and that blessing and, and make decisions accordingly. Awesome. Last thing I'm going to hit you with here, David. I love to ask all the dads I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about to be dad who's out there listening? Um, the number one thing is is uh, patience. Um, and I don't, you know, and I, I I I'm very similar to you. I. Every time I meet somebody who's a dad who I believe, you know, seems like they're squared away in terms of their moral focus and compass and their value system, you know, I always say, what's the best advice you can give me being a dad? And the overwhelming uh, answer across all planes, whether it's a newborn or, you know, they're teenagers or college or, you know, whenever uh, they're becoming parents themselves is, you know, 
don't be afraid of patience uh, and to recognize that, you know, the that a human being, although we're the most advanced species on the planet and we're capable of, you know, unimaginary, miraculous things, uh, it, it, it takes uh, about 36 years to get a good foundation for a person. <laughs> and so... Be patient. Learn patience as fast as possible, uh, and and just and and recognize that uh, this is a, a the longest, uh, most rewarding uh, thing you'll ever participate in. Much more rewarding than being a frogman or working for the agency or being a speaker. There's no greater uh, feeling of success or accomplishment I feel when I see uh, any one of my girls. Um, shine, and and most especially when they shine as as good, decent human beings. That's that's my goal. Yeah, right on. Well said. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, you are a first class father. Thank you for your service. And David Rutherford, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you, Alec, and and God bless you and what you're doing. Keep it up. Uh, I think the uh, compiling this money, this many fathers, and this much great information is going to be uh, invaluable in so many ways. So I I wish you all the best, brother. Thank you for that, David. It means a lot. All right, guys, I'm going to be right back here with some closing thoughts in just a second. Operation 300. Operation 300 is a registered 501c3 not-for-profit organization which hosts adventure camps for children who have lost their fathers as a result of military service. Pairing each child with a father-aged male mentor who spends the weekend doing things with the children they might have done with their dad. Their mission is to provide mentorship to the children of the fallen, honor the sacrifice of those who have given their all for our freedom, and promote patriotism and service in our communities. Please visit them today by going to operation300.com. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Today's interview is being brought to you by NFW Watches. Please go over to nfwonline.com and use my promo code FATHER at the checkout. You're going to save 15% off your entire order. You're going to get free shipping inside the United States. And $50 of every order is going to go directly towards Honor Flight, which is helping our World War II veterans. Get over to nfwonline.com. Use the promo code FATHER. All right, and joining me now are first-class parents. He is a former Navy SEAL whose best-selling book, Lone Survivor, was turned into a blockbuster movie with the same title, detailing his account of a deadly SEAL team operation. He is a Navy Cross and Purple Heart recipient. He joins me today with his wife, Melanie, from the great state of Texas. It is a big honor for me to say Melanie and Marcus Luttrell. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get this started here. How many kids do you guys have, and how old are they? They're three. One is going to be 21 years old, and then he's a, he's a junior at LSU. We have one that's seven and one that is six. Very cool. What type of um, sports or activities are they into? Hunter, the oldest, did football and baseball all through growing up. Now that he's in college, he actually plays on their club baseball team. He's a state champion his uh, senior year in high school. He's a, he's a heck of a player. Um. And Axe and Addie, the little ones, are not in organized sports yet, um, but that's mainly because of our schedule, not 
because of them. Well, at this age right now, I was waiting for Axe to turn seven, and this is where I start introducing him to, because I don't even need that. I mean, I want him to have a childhood and play and, and, and do all that before I kind of come in their life and, and start pushing them in or helping them in the directions with the discipline and everything. So we've introduced them to jiu-jitsu and baseball and basketball and tennis and golf and bowling and uh, pool and swimming and pretty much everything. And then once they kind of find an interest in something and, and point in the direction they want to go, then we'll start. Yeah, that's awesome because I've had my kids in these organized sports leagues as young as four years of age, and it kind of really just simulates the way I played when I was a kid. We played more in the street or in the neighborhood without referees and coaches and all that, and we kind of had to handle the uh, problem-solving aspects uh, of the games in a sense, whereas today I think these organized sports, they kind of take that opportunity away from the kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and and that's kind of why we held off. I mean, it is you you, you find your niche with your friends, and if you kind of get put into something – in the beginning that your parents push you in and you, don't, and you don't like it, you kind of get that impression that all of it's like that, and that's not how we want to do it. So once they, you know, you make them want it and, and kind of crave it and ask for it, and then once they start showing the interest in it, then you then you kind of give uh, lead them down that path. Yeah. Okay, Melanie, please hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Oh, gosh. Um, that's a loaded question. That is, man. That's hard to answer. I... Um, <laughs> I basically manage Marcus's schedule and um, pretty much everything that he does from an umbrella standpoint. I don't do the day-to-day details, but I um, kind of operate as his manager. Um, I also am my family manager. I have a big family, um, my dad and my sisters, and I – we have a big ranch and I manage all of that. So I have, I wear many, many, many hats. Okay. On top of managing everything that falls underneath my umbrella, not managing it. She's just the wife and she's the boss and she kind of over all the other managers. Not only that, she's a full-time, I mean, she's a, a, an amazing wife, a mother of three. She has five sisters. All of them are on their own path in college and kind of, and she does something with each one of them. On top of that, she runs the part of the family business and, and that in itself is global, okay? And then she helps get uh, she's, uh, people elected into public office, including, you know, up to working on the president's campaign, congressman. I mean, she just, she she has multiple hats that that, um, that she wears, and it's just, it's, it's almost impossible to put it all into uh, perspective. I like politics. I like local politics, and I do um, fundraising, and I just help with campaigns and stuff like that. Very cool. All right. I want to get your guys' perspective here because I talk about this all the time on the podcast. It feels like, to me at least, in this country, there's an attack on family life, on family values through our pop culture, through the way uh, dads and family life is portrayed on TV and in the movies. Uh, So I think it's important for especially the young men, but just for the younger generation to hear from successful people, from well-known people, uh, you know, how good and how awesome fatherhood and family life truly is. So let me start with you here, Melanie. How did becoming a mom kind of change your perspective on life? Well, I became a mom at 19 years old. So I've been a mom my whole adult life, and I don't know anything other than that. Um, So I was a single mom for a long time, and that was obviously hard, but it it brings you really close to your child. So um, when I met Marcus, uh, I was very thankful that he embraced 
Hunter as his own and Hunter loves him um, like, like their blood. So it's, it's been a blessing for me. I know every family situation is not like that. Um, but our family dynamic has worked really well. Yeah, it's so cool that you were able to do that, Marcus, too, because there, there are so many kids growing up in this country without a father figure in their lives, and, and the stats are really stacked against them. Uh, there's definitely a fatherless uh, household problem in the country. But, uh, Marcus, you have been all around the world. You've been to hell and back. You've been through so many different evolutions in your life. How did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? It was the best thing ever. My brother and I always had an arrangement. For the first 40 years, we were married to the SEAL teams, to our country, and to everybody involved with that. And then at 40, we would retire, stop, and shift, and go in a completely different direction, either go into whatever we want to do, or if we, you know, kind of start looking for our wives. Uh, I got lucky. I met Melanie on a blind date, and uh, I asked her, you know, I, she left that. I was like, that's the last time you'll ever leave anywhere without me. I showed up the next day at her house with everything I owned was in a bag. I walked in and never left. And, and I, the first time Hunter came walking out of his room, I remember looking down. I was like, I didn't even really know about him. I was like, what is, hey, what's up, buddy? Because that's a big deal to walk into another bull's pasture. Let's be real about that. But and I kind of knelt down. But, hey, look, this is going to go one of two ways, man. And it went, the, the, you know, the, the famous way. I, I, I still remember being a kid and growing up and what that was like and making those mistakes. And anything and everything that I learned in the SEAL teams was, is dedicated now to being a husband and a, a father. And making mistakes is part of it. And realizing that you made them is part of it, too, and that life is going to be difficult in any kind of capacity. And as a father, I have the ability, plus my background, to put pressure on my kids to see how they react in certain uh, situations. And then I have the ability to pull it off of them. And that in itself trains them because when you go out into the real life, I mean, you know, we train our kids to get dressed, you know, tend to brush our teeth and talk and everything like that. But most people won't train them to defend themselves. They won't train them what to look out for because they're scared of it themselves. And all our children are is the next version of us. I mean, it's the better version. You, you meet the woman in your dreams. You create something that's, that's twice as powerful as you ever were, and, but all the doors are shut. And as they go through life, it's just you going through life in, a, in, in the new version, and you kind of want to see where it goes and, and what, in what capacity you, you uh, maintain a little bit of your old self or if, if you're completely brand new. And as you go through life, you want to kind of train yourself in every situation so that when you do have the next version of yourself, you can be there trained. I would never beat up myself. I would never, you know, talk down to myself. And that's what our kids are. It's our next version. I mean, you got to look at them like that young version. And when you were young, you made mistakes. And, you you know, you still believe in magic. And that's, that's part of it, too. And, and um, you know, we raised our kids with, with faith and, the, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and we, we love each other in every capacity. And when they make mistakes, I mean, the thing about our generation, Gen X, man, is we're just so hardcore that, you know, we're, we're like stunt parents, right? We, I mean, we see our kids do something, like, oh, that's cool, but check this out, right? I mean, we have, we have the X teams. Our, our warriors have been fighting for 20 years. You know, our women are Gen X. I mean, they're just, just hardcore. And, and our kids have this technology today, and all the video games and movies that they watch are basically our lives playing out in front of them. And, uh, you know, every time they get a chance to, to, to step into it, we're just like, no, we'll do it, you know. It, and, and that's okay. I mean, it, every generation is different. Our generation, I remember the things they said about us, it was bad. Same thing they say about the millennials, but that's what it's all about. You know? It's just uh, going through life and learning as much as you can so you can pass it down. Very well said, and I'm a faith-based person myself, so I love to hear you mention Christ in there. God is under attack in this country as well. Uh, let me ask you guys about discipline. Who is more of the disciplinarian in your home, and how do you guys kind of handle it? 
I think I'm more of the disciplinarian um, just because I've been doing it for so much longer. Um, I'm a spanker for sure. Uh, I don't beat, and I I have ground rules with my spanking. Um, I, I give warnings, and if they're third time is a charm, and uh, there's a spanking coming on that third time, I always spank on the behind, never anywhere else, you know, like I've got my structure of spanking and it seems to work. I agree with you, Melanie. And I, and I like what you said there too, because there is a major difference between spanking a child and beating a child. And I think up until a certain point, uh, you know, spanking is very effective. I don't uh, believe in screaming or yelling or humiliating when parents do that. It drives me absolutely crazy because it's counterproductive. It's that, that's just hurting the child. They think, oh, well, I'm not spanking him. I'm not touching him. Well, by by humiliating him or screaming at him in front of somebody, that's not helping them either. So I, I think one of our biggest problems today with, you know, kids just going crazy um, and there's lots of issues that are happening today that weren't happening when we were kids, but I think a huge part of it is the lack of discipline and lack of structured discipline. Yeah, you make a great point there, Melanie. And, and as parents, it is difficult to watch our kids fail or to get hurt. And, but I, I mean, I understand that failure is, is a part of growth. Uh, but this whole every kid gets a trophy philosophy, I think, does a lot more harm than it does good. So, I mean, how do you, uh, Marcus, how do you kind of respond when your kids fail or, or, or get hurt? And um, maybe a, a word about discipline as well. Well, look, man, the trophies at that age are a gift to your children because when you congratulate them with words, they don't understand that they still get presents. I mean, they, they, they see what's going on and they can hear you, but they don't understand it. And even when they're on their own, the way they learn their lessons and what really not to do is when they get, when they feel pain and you know, the butt has some extra padding back there to apply a little pressure. And if, if you don't, if you don't do that to them, okay. And if you don't, what do you want to do? Keep them safe or secure. You want to hinder them, right? Because you're going to experience pain in life. And when you get out of sports and out of school, there are no more written tests, there are no more trophies. There's the good times and the bad times. And if, and if you're not paying attention to your good ones, your bad times are going to just light you up. And it's incumbent upon parents. I mean, who do you want to show it to them? All right, who do you want to discipline? The most dangerous thing on this planet is an undisciplined human mind. You just want a, you just want a grown-up baby, somebody who thinks they're still in seventh grade and deserve a present for every time they do something good? Or do you want to say, hey, look, man, uh, Look, right now you do something, and we're all we're, we're playing this event. We're going to give you a trophy to reward those who work the hardest. And as you, as you progress in age and in life, those trophies go away, and it comes into diplomas, and then into money, and then into cars, and and everything that you know that we that we like to give ourselves. But if you put them in the mindset that all they have to do is compete or show up, then there's that only happens in a small percentage of of, of the world's population. So, I mean, if you just want them to live in that town for the rest of their life and be the, the kid who got the trophy in junior high or high school, well, that's cool, too. But the minute they step out of that and they go into reality, even if every kid around got a trophy growing up and then they get into the opportunity to where the trophy doesn't exist and it's just who does the best work, then it'll, it'll weed themselves out. So where do you want your kid to fall in that? Because it doesn't matter how much we protect them. Eventually, we're going to die or be gone and they're going to move away. And if if they're not ready to handle a little pressure, like say, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't get first place, so I didn't get a trophy, and they don't have a meltdown, what are they going to do when they don't get a job or when they lose their job? I mean, you, we've actually done that to them. It's, you know, parents, it, it, we're the, 
we're the teachers. We have to do that. Everyone, that whole trophy, and I, you know, they'll just figure it out. They'll be good. You know, everything's fine. I don't want to mess with them. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to hurt their feelings or hurt their life uh, because you know I'll just wait till they get out of the house and let that happen every day of their life. Well, that would be like giving an A to everyone who shows up at class. You don't. I mean, you're graded based off of your work. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Melanie. Uh, Very well said. That's how you have to learn or else we turn into the society like we're turning into where so the children's suicide rate is so high right now that it's it's scary. And and you end up with people like – Ocasio-Cortez, I mean, that wants to give everybody everything without working for it. Like, you have to have, there's, life is a progression, and you have to learn how to, you know, to move through those ropes, or else you're going to fail at life. I mean, anything that you receive in life that is free, somebody, I mean, somebody has to have in order, to, in order to receive anything, it has to be built, right? It has to be developed. And in order for that to happen, somebody has to do it. And they have to get paid to do it. Or, or they're, 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 I mean, that's just the way this kind of works, right? So, in, in any, oh, most, most importantly, anything you get free, you don't respect it at all, period. I mean, I, that's, just, that's just the way it is. And it, what happens eventually, if you get undisciplined and then uneducated, then you become somebody else. Somebody else tells you how everything's supposed to be instead of being able to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, and I believe the only things that we do get for free in life are given to us by our Creator. We didn't do anything to earn the right to see or to hear or or to taste. Uh, Those are blessings that are given to us, and I think we need to be more thankful, more grateful for them. But everything else, we have to earn or create for ourselves in life, but definitely need to be more thankful for the blessings we get. Yeah. Well, that's how you know things are good. I mean, in order to – if you really want to know how good things are in the country, see what people are complaining about. And if it's food, water, shelter, somebody killing them, uh, no clothes, no education, you know, that kind of thing, then uh, everything else is, like I said, a blessing. Yeah, right on. Uh, All right, let me ask you guys about guns. It's always a hot-button issue. And and Hollywood, for some reason, who can't seem to make even a superhero movie without gun violence, usually has the biggest mouth in the conversation when it comes to gun control. But uh, let me start with you, Melanie. How do you feel about guns, gun safety, and what is a good age to introduce guns to kids? Well, I grew up around guns. I've been a hunter since I was a young girl. I grew up with a single dad, so I'm probably not the best person to ask on that because I'm biased. Um, But I was always taught as a child, as a young girl, to respect the gun. And my dad had guns around the house, but he taught me over and over and over to never touch the gun. And I didn't. And so when I had children, even before I met Marcus, I had guns in the home as a single mom, and I taught my son to never touch the gun, and he didn't. It's kind of like that, um, Taya Kyle and I have talked about this before, and when when you're kid, a kid and you've got, uh, your mom has a, a nice glass bowl on the dining room table, like a china or something, or a crystal bowl, and she says, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, and repeats herself so many times that you know you don't touch that damn bowl. And it's the same thing with a gun. If they're familiar with it and they know not to mess with it, and you also have to know your children and trust your children that, I mean, there are some kids that don't listen. 
So in that case, you have to always have your guns completely secure and never allow guns around your child. Or if you've got children that behave and that respect your word and you know that they won't mess up, then it's okay. Like I have a shotgun leaning up against my headboard. Now there's not a shell in the chamber, can't go off. My safety is on. I've, I have safety precautions around it. I'm not stupid, but it, it is visible. Now I know for a fact my kids won't touch that gun because we have gone over it multiple, multiple, multiple times and they don't do it. Um, and we've got video cameras in the room. So it's just one of those things that you have to teach gun safety before you have guns around. And it has to be something that's not forbidden and secretive where they're going to want to play around with the gun. Um, make it a common thing. Like Marcus before has uh, taken his guns apart. Obviously there's no ammunition in the guns or anything, but he's had Axe, you know, help him clean it. And so acts is familiar. This is only something that you're around when daddy's around. And I mean, he's seven years old. So we're okay with that because it's a common subject in our family home. It's not the forbidden fruit, you know, that, that yeah. they can't touch. Exactly. And, and with that being said, man, if they're old enough to, to, to pick something up and to understand, to manipulate it, then that's, they're old enough to start, you know, teaching them with that. And it's basically like sex. Okay, I mean, it, you teach our kids everything there is about sex, what kind of kids are going to come out of it, and there ain't nothing more dangerous than a loaded uh, teenage boy, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, look, I don't teach snakes and, 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 and all these dangerous things. I don't keep them around the house, but they're around, okay? So in order for my kids to survive out in the world, I train them in every capacity. And because we do keep firearms here, I do train them in, in – Look, Navy SEALs, the most important thing in our life is safety, all right? I can manipulate that thing as well as we can because of how safe we are with it. And then if, anywhere and everywhere your kid goes, if there's something out there that they're going to run into and you don't train them for it, somebody else will, okay? And if everybody in the room around is kids and they see a gun and they're all trained that they're not supposed to touch it, then they won't, all right? And if you, if you tra- any, and anything and everything that they're going to run into in life, if you do not prepare them for it, somebody else will. And if, and and that's a lot of times how the most when most kids get hurt, it's because they haven't had gun safety. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. our police use it. We we use it for. I mean, as we progress as a society, we get more sophisticated in the cities. Something that used to be commonplace becomes well, we don't do it here, and then we don't talk about it here, and now it's just forbidden. And that's kind of how it is with firearms. Uh, you know, even out in the country, we have them around because not, we don't use them for safety, but we use them for hunting, for for food, for protection, uh, for for animals, to protect our own animals. You know, all across the board. I mean, and, and it's it's one of those deals where this country is protected by all of that. And I know people hate to hear that, and I'm I'm all about gun safety because I have gun safety running out of my ears. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I really do, and I mean, it's just um, it's it should be in the capacity that you teach your kids about dangerous things or things that they will encounter in life as they progress. One being, you know, we teach you how to dress and go to school. Then as you uh, down the line, we'll teach you how to drive. And then we'll teach you, how, you know, hey, when you start going through puberty, you guys are going to be chasing each other like crazy, okay? Here's the safety precautions you use in case you run into a loaded teenage boy, okay, or vice versa. You know, your teenager, you're like, hey, man, I need you to settle down. You, 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 this is what's going to be happening, these, your hormones, blah, blah, blah. And it's all the, the variables that run into each individual is the same capacity when you run into a, 
somebody who's not trained with a weapon system in, uh, in the house or out of it. First of all, you can't blame – anybody who blames an inanimate object for something, I mean, if you literally are persecuting an inanimate object that can't activate itself without a human being behind it, then you don't want to look at the, what's really going on. Okay, that, no weapon can hurt anybody unless somebody's behind it. And that goes back to when your kids need to be disciplined. And, I mean, that, and that, that stems like if you don't do it, then if there is no – if no one disciplines them, then you're going to have around a bunch of undisciplined adults, and then who knows how to run anything? Well, you know, my dad used to say this back in the day. Maybe that would work. Or, you know, I mean, or like, hey, I did this, actually. You know, and I, I mean, I, I know it's old hat, but I still teach my kids how to find, you know, start fire, build a tent, and, you know, any case, you know, change a tire, anything and everything that they have would have to do like we had to do before tech. That's the beautiful part about our generation, man, is we're a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. So we're the kind of last generation that can teach that old school stuff, you know, basic survival skills without without a, without a battery. Cause any, Anything with a battery can shut down. I think the biggest, the short answer to that is gun safety. Gun safety, gun safety, gun safety. Always talk about it. Always be open about it. Hey, and I know people, and I love them very much, but they don't have anything to do with it. They don't want to touch that. And I'm like, hey, good. We need people like that, too, because there's people like me who have to use it to protect you, okay? And then my children will be trained and understand what their father did. I wouldn't keep that from them. I mean, because then that would make me look like somebody bad. Why do I want to if dad did it and it's bad, then he must be bad. Well, that's not, that's not it. I was using it to protect everybody else, man. It's just pe- bad people do bad things with that. It's, it boils down to that sin you carry. I mean, if you have wrath inside of you like I do, you can either use that wrath to protect people from wrath or you can become wrath and hurt people with it. And yeah. each one of us has that a sin inside of us, man. And if you, if you get into it and manipulate, or not manipulate, but if you abuse it, then, man, you're going down the bad road. But if you understand where you are in the beginning and you have people around you who have already been through that gauntlet, then they can walk you through it, and that's what you're doing. We're walking you through life, man. I'm like, I'm not teaching you to use a gun in a bad way. I'm teaching you gun safety in case somebody bad gets a hold of this thing. Yeah, I have a perfect example, and I don't want to, you know, harp on the gun subject, but my mom and brother was nine years old at a friend's house, where the friend was not, they never talked about guns. The dad uh, left a gun out and a rifle out, and the kids were in the house by themselves, and the little kid grabbed the gun and accidentally shot my mom's brother. Wow. He was nine years old, and he died. And it's absolutely terrible it's a terrible situation this kid was curious he he surely didn't mean to kill his best friend um but but the parents never talked to him about the gun it was just something that was forbidden you know don't don't touch a dog gun you know that kind of mentality not teaching the safety mechanisms and the consequences and everything of a gun now, my mom, as a grown woman, is ter- she grew up terrified of guns. So a few years ago, we were talking, and she said she went out and bought her first handgun for, for home protection. And I slipped out because I knew that my mom has never had any gun safety training. And I said, Mom, do you know how to shoot the gun? She said, no. And I said, well, then... Having a gun in your home is worse 
than ha- than not having it and someone coming in because you're not going to know what to do with it. You can shoot yourself, shoot a family member, or the person breaking into your home is going to end up grabbing it from you and shooting you with it. You cannot have a gun in your home if you are not a hundred percent comfortable with that gun and all of the safety that goes around it. And that I'm very, very big on that is just gun safety through and through. If you're going to go get a gun and you don't have a Navy SEAL as a husband or, you know, someone in the military in your family or whatever, a big hunter in the family, go get lessons. Go, I, teach, I host a women's shooting camp every year, and it's all about gun safety. And I'm just a huge advocate on that, that you don't, not everyone needs a gun. If you're not comfortable with it, don't have it. Or if you want to get comfortable with it, go take lessons before you buy one. All right. And, and here's the biggest thing with that. All right. And everybody throws this over on us because we carry guns. Look, any, any responsible hunter I know, anybody who I hang out with, anybody and everybody I run around, hunters, I mean, we all have the safety classes, and they all t- we all make us take each other's safety classes so that we'll know that we're safe. I, the people who are like, you don't need a safety class, you just go get me. Those, man, those do not speak for all of us. Okay? Yeah, those, <laughs> those are the people you don't want to go hunting with. I don't even know who – I mean, when I hear that, when people throw that on us, I'm like, well, you don't want gun laws? I'm like, who the hell says that? I mean, I, I have to go through so much gun training, and I mean, I still have to do it. And any time I purchase a weapon, I have to go through the whole gambit of it, and I should. Just, yeah, I mean, what, I mean, I, because of how I'm trained, you need to know what, what you know, and, and, if, and if you're going to keep a log of how well I'm trained, why would you not keep a log of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing? And, uh, you know, don't, don't pay attention to people trying to stir up all that crap saying that we hate each other because of our color and everything. Man, our generation, man, we, that's gone at all, man. I mean, we, we, we had to grow up and fight a war for 20 years with each other, all right? So you can't tell me that we can't come together and that we can't make things work. It's the people who walk up and say, well, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't even care what you have to say. Those people need to get pushed and in, in, in either figure something out or get away from the collective uh, of the rest of us because we're trying to make this thing work. It's Boil it down, man. We're a family. There's no ruling parties in America. The best part about our country is you can be born with no last name, no nothing, and still become a king. All right, we don't call it that. We call it president. You can become a king of the most powerful nation and wield the most powerful sword the earth has ever known, okay, and be a nobody, a literal nobody. And we switch that, and then everybody underneath the president, I mean, look at their aunts, uncles, and then look at our sports franchises as the counts and dukes and duchesses and stuff like that. It's a family environment. You have to treat it that way all the way down to our kids and train them what they're going to run into in the house. Yeah, I agree with you guys. You make some great points. I try to stay away from the political aspects of all this stuff because there, there's so much hatred and so much anger involved with all of it. Uh, I think as fathers, as parents, we all want the same thing for our kids. We want them to be happy. We want them to have some success. And I think if we just step back and look at the big picture here, we would quickly realize that we're, we're all after the same thing here and we all have a lot more in common than we ever knew. Oh, well, let me tell you something. That's the greatest part about Melly and I's life is the people that we interact with, and it's all across the board. So, I mean, I truly know that everybody can get along with everybody because I get along with the people famously who, who, who are always throwing jabs at each other, and it's just a bickering thing. If you boil it down to it, man, it's just a bicker, It's literally a bickering thing. We could, if we could cover, if we could figure anything out together, right? And it's kind of we we stall ourselves because we like to argue back and forth. 
And it, and it all goes around, man, where we were raised and kind of how we're brought up. I mean, when I first time I went to New York, I thought everyone was yelling at me. I didn't know that that's actually <laughs> how they talk and communicate, and that's, they, that's how they show their love. You know, down south, man, we didn't, it's kind of just different, man. And once you figure that out, man, New York City, man, those people are magnificent. I mean, I have so many friends. Up, I love those people more than anything. You can't tell me that we can't. I've been in every state, every city, every just visiting town to town, talking to any and everybody I could to, just to see for myself, man. And I made friends all over this place. And I talk to them on a regular basis, man, even the ones that don't get along with TV. And I just sit back and I'd be like, man, if you guys knew how much you had in common, you, you kind of squash all this and you figure out which, which side is what and then cut it down because you can't be happy all the time. That's not how life works anyways, man. And, you know, the younger generations are always complaining. That's what younger generations do. Older generations are setting their ways, so they're setting their ways. And the in-between, we, we kind of make everything work. And at no point in time should we ever hate each other, uh, draw an arm to each other, or, you know, hurt each other in, in any capacity. I mean, just think about it. I mean, we're one, if we're one big family, if you, you send your kids out next door, man, and tell me, I mean, you, you want to know that they run into people who would care for them as much as you do, not hurt them because they, they didn't know something that you knew at a given time and thought a certain way. I mean, information goes by so fast, man, literally – Two kids, you get educated in two different things in a matter of a second just because of what they're looking at on their phone, man. And you, you just got to take a step back and just like, hey, whoa, I mean, take a breath, man. You guys are arguing about some dumb stuff. I mean, we all, all of us sitting back at our homes watching the TV, when you look at it, man, like, man, you guys are just arguing over dumb stuff. I can't even believe that three people on this plan- in our country have, this, have our government shut down. Three people have our government shut down. That is unbelievable to me. Yeah, and I have faith that the light will overcome the darkness here. And with this technology now, you can learn new skills quicker. You can educate yourself in almost any subject. Uh, the problem is, is that there is so much poison available through these smartphones and these devices, which can really do significant damage to a young mindset. So how do you guys kind of handle technology time or video game time with your kids? We allow our kids to play video games. We limit the time that they spend on it. And obviously, they can't play you know, every game. Um, as far as phones, Axe has an old iPhone that's disabled. Uh, the Wi-Fi is disabled. He can just play games on it when he's at home or if we go to a restaurant or something, but he can't carry it to school or anything like that. Um, it's usually for plane rides, traveling, that kind of stuff. But it's basically like an iPad in the shape of an iPhone because it's disabled. I mean, think about it. It's got, look, same same way with us. It's, it, it was, it's a reward to have that stuff. We're blessed. We have land and we have a lot of stuff to do. Like we have to work out here. So they, they, they have access to that. And, and, and if you keep that stuff from them, then, then they're going to be behind. And, and then their, their friends, they're going to be talking about with their friends, right? They got to play. You got to, I mean, that's, that's what kids do these days. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to my kid. I'm like, well, what are you going to give them then? Because that's what, every, you know, that's how it, that's how these things were just, Everything in moderation, and that, that's the way it applies to everything. You see them getting burned out on something, then you take it away from them. And, did you, and that's the way it was with us. If we, if they, if we messed up. They took away our, our car keys. Before that, it was whatever it is we had, right? And every generation is different, but just everything around us is different. The training aspect of it, like on, in the, it should be the same. Like i got to discipline my kid. i got to watch out for him because there's predators out there at any given time to snatch in there. And the minute I, I don't think that that can happen, I'm probably um, – I'm not doing my, my uh, kids justice, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing a disservice to them. As a matter of fact, how I got to learn – got to know Hunter is I went and bought a video game for the first time ever. I didn't, I didn't play it since Nintendo, right, since we were kids. 
with uh, Super Mario, which is a fantastic <laughs> game, by the way. And uh, uh, I went upstairs, and we started playing. And Melanie, I'll never forget this. Melanie came walking up. She's like, have you guys been up here this whole time? And I was like, yeah, why? What happened? She's like, you've been up here for nine hours. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, we, I just got sucked into these games are amazing. I mean, they're like three-dimensional. It's not like this stuff was just a sideways screen with us. You know, yeah. Or some crap like that. I mean, bro. You, I can see how you can get into it because I, I did. And so for the holidays, every time I come up to college, we play this game at, uh, together. All the boys go in there and we just kind of hash it out. It, it, it's fun, man. It's a reward. So if it, and that's how you turn it into, man. If, you, if they spend too much time on it, then, it, then they won't appreciate it and they get burned out. So, I, and I, I mean, and this is the part that babbles me. Like, this is when the parents are like, no, you can't play with that. And they start complaining, like, you get your feelings hurt. I'm like, oh. So that's it. That, that's why you let them go back and burn out on that game is just because you got your feelings. You're a grown ass, you know, you're a human adult parent. Okay, I know what they want to hear, and it, you know, then you need to just think about that. All right, just think about it. And the best part about it is when you when you actually hear your parent, your father or your mother in your head while you're saying that. I was like, now nah, I know why they said that, and they said that I would say this when I said this. You know that kind of thing. And it's just it's hilarious. I mean, and. And never forget that. Like, hey, you're at an age in your life where you have to take the responsibility. They're at the age in their life when they're screwing up. And if you if you if you don't, it's basically like climbing the corporate ladder, and then you get to your job and you don't want to do it. Like the CEO, right, or the boss. Like, nah, I'm just gonna let the kids figure out how to run a company. They'll be all right. <laughs> no other environment does that does, will that be applicable or be even. You know, stu- no one would stand for that. But you're going to do it in your home with your kids? Uh, oh, come on, man. Think about it. Yeah, listen, hey, we use that Fortnite as a form of currency in this house. That that, that game is taken over. Right. Our uh, seven-year-old loves Fortnite. And it's, I mean, he truly enjoys playing. So why take something away that's pure joy for him? We don't make it, we don't let him play it all the time. Hey, look, man, I, I watch him and I watch them and the hand-eye coordination with all the buttons and how fast they're working. I mean, and you can read a book. And and but I was kind. I learned if I'm reading a book, I'm just reading it. But if I could see it and use my hands in it and build something, and 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 and, I mean that's working the mind. But just like with anything, you wouldn't sit there and read a book forever and ever and ever. You take a break, right? And as kids, they don't have that break in them yet. They don't understand that part. So you know, be a parent. I mean, be a parent. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. Okay, Marcus, one thing I have to ask you, I listened to that 911 tape of you chasing the guy that shot your dog. I couldn't believe how calm you sounded throughout that entire high-speed chase. Uh, do you have that same kind of calmness when you're driving like a long-distance ride with the kids and they start driving you crazy? Because that, that's a tough one for a lot of parents. Let me say something. After everything that I've been through, I mean, I, I learned lessons from my good and my bad. Like a bad, a bad, something bad that happens to me doesn't hurt me mentally i take i take from it and uh i mean if you see me freaking out if some kids could freak me out after everything that i've been through then I mean, come on so i mean i i that that was the beautiful thing about what i did for a living and everything that i had to go through is is i don't get freaked out when they're you know when they bust and they're bleeding or or something happens like when Melanie, everybody comes up to me i that as not only as uh, the parent the father and everything that i've been through i mean i i keep the the calm. I keep the peace around here. That's my job. I do all my all I do around here is protection and enforcement. Melly runs the show, man. I do what I'm told, and I protect and enforce everything. And then anything in between, I mean, if you know if it makes it past Melly and it makes it to me, then I handle it, and that's it. That's probably one of my best qualities too: is remaining calm. Things don't rile me up. So car rides aren't hard for us because. Um, 
we're both really chill. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, we're in the new year here. What type of uh, goals or plans do you guys have uh, coming up for this year and, and, and for the future? I'm trying to go keto hard. <laughs> And this family's not 100% on board. Um, <laughs> we'll get it done. Uh, we try to, you know, make sure that we live every single day like it was, uh, like we wouldn't get it back. Um, we, I mean, we we literally cherish every day around here and have the best time from sun up to sun down. And uh, even, even the hard times that we go through, we go through them together. And uh, each year is just a blessing. I turned 40 this year, so it's a rough one for me. Okay, yeah, I'm only a couple of years from 40 myself, so um, I hear you on that. Uh, All right, last thing I'm going to hit you guys with here, I'd love to ask all the parents that I have on the podcast. Let me begin with you, Melanie. What type of advice could you give to that new mom or to that about-to-be parent who's out there listening? Um, My advice to new parents is to stay calm. (laughs) There's going to be things that freak you out. I was a new parent at a very young age, and I... I reacted on emotion and not out of uh, practicality, I guess. So, and take advice from other parents. I mean, I remember being 19 years old and not, you know, when I would lay Hunter down to go to sleep and as soon as he hit the crib, he'd start crying. So I'd pick him back up and I felt like I couldn't put him back down. So he was going to start crying. So I didn't sleep at all because I was walking around rocking a baby, um, where when I was older, I learned you put the baby down and you walk out of the room. So what if they cry? It's going to be okay. And it just took a 13 year gap for me to learn that. But, um, take advice from other parents, stay calm. Your baby's going to be fine and stick together as parents and always help each other out. Great advice. Uh, Marcus. Oh yeah. No, I mean, one of my favorite commercials I've seen is when the uh, you got the, the the young the couple and they're like, hey, got 20 minutes, you want to go? And so they go into the bedroom to fool around. And then after the baby, they've had a couple of kids, they're like, hey, we got 20 minutes, you want to go? And the dude's got the CPAC machine on, passed it on top of the covers, and she's, she's passed out too because they're so worn out from having the kids, right? I mean, everything literally changes in that moment. And never forget, babies are tough. They're resilient. I, I, I remember when we had access. I walked in the house with, I'll never forget this. I had him in that carrier. I didn't even know how to put him in the baby seat. I mean, I, and I looked at Melanie, she was walking upstairs. She, she just, just, I watched her give birth to my children. I was like, women are the toughest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, man. And I know pain. And, and I was sitting there with him and I was like, all right, buddy, we're going to get through this together, man. And I remember I would clean everything. I mean, just crazy. And then put it in the microwave, make sure it's sterilized. And plant for the second kid, third kid, people just like, it falls on the ground, take it off. Spit on it, put it in their mouth, like, hey, die. And I've never run across a parent that didn't, didn't, it's a progression. And no matter what seasoned parents tell a new parent, you are still going to default to your own parenting regulations of what you see and what you learn. It is trial and error, okay? It, it truly is, man. And no matter what, as the, as the father, realize that that woman, what she just went through and carried that baby and, and did all that, man. So I had diaper duty, whatever, you know, whatever I could do, man. I, I, and this, the sleepless nights, yeah, those exist, man. Just get used to them. I mean, you'll get into the zone, kind of going through hell. With he that. says that, but he also told me that he was going to have night duty because he doesn't sleep well at night. And the first night we were home. All right, this happened one time, okay? I'll, oh, no. It happened every night. The first <laughs> night that we were home. 
the first time Axe started crying, I look over at Marcus, and his eyes immediately shut tight. <laughs> and I'm like, that. Sorry. Okay, okay, so at that age, man, the guy always, you know. He pretended to be sleeping. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> kid's hungry. I can't really help you with that, okay? That's what the mother can't He can't pretended to be sleeping. He could have rubbed my back while I was feeding him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I love that because we always had a rule in our house when they were babies, uh, you know, if you wake them, you shake them. You know, you got to get them back to sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like finding the, uh, you know, the dog mess on the ground. Whoever finds it, you got to clean it up. You got the baby up. But hey, uh, I mean, just know that as a, you know, people have been doing parenting stuff and being been parents since the beginning. Okay. And before they had hospitals and, and all that stuff and just have a great time with it. And it does go by fast. I, I noticed that man. And that before, and they are so much, I mean, when they get to that age, like six and seven, when they look at, they get their own person personalities, that's when you figure out when you're not cool anymore. As soon as your kids know the difference between cool and uncool, you're not cool anymore. And you're old and busted and all that stuff. And that's that's a great – that actually has to happen for you to go through the transitional period of being able to enforce the rules on your kids. Because in the beginning, you're like, you know, they think, you know, you're cool and they want to hang out. And then as soon as they go, hey, you're not cool, then they're like, oh, check this out. If I'm not cool, check out this rule and this new chore, all right? I'll, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, you're gonna, I'll, I'll act like a parent if I have to. And then, you know, ask around. Ask for advice. And don't ever be ashamed or to not know anything. And don't ever be embarrassed to, to adopt something that somebody else did, does, you know, for their and, – And don't be ashamed to ask for help. For babysitting, from family or whatever, I truly believe that a mother's sanity is through breaks. And I see a lot of new moms that feel guilty for going to get their hair done or – leaving the baby to go to the grocery store by herself. Moms need that. Take breaks. Get away by yourself. Yeah, that's why you keep your family around. That's why, you you know, your mother and your grandparents, and they, that, I mean, you keep all of them around close to you, and they're a wealth of knowledge, and they love watching the kids so you can have the break. And, I mean, we, we keep everybody around us at any given time, you know. I mean, and – they pass their kids off to us, and it just kind of works. And then the kids hang out together, and they're they're being raised together as a family. And they just it's a you know it's a wealth of knowledge for them in in itself. Yeah, very well said. I love the advice. This has truly been an honor for me, guys. So I have to say thank you so much, Melanie and Marcus Latrell, for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks. Oh, great. Yeah, you appreciate it, brother. Thanks, man. All right, I'll be right back after a quick spot. Are you enjoying First Class Fatherhood? Did you know you can actually get paid just for listening to this podcast? It may sound insane, but it's true. There is a free new app called PodCoin, and it literally pays you to listen to podcasts. Seriously, just go download the free PodCoin app on your iPhone or Android, and if you use my special code, First Class Fatherhood, you will get 300 PodCoins just for signing up. The more you listen, the more PodCoin you earn. And then you turn those PodCoins into gift cards for places like Amazon, Starbucks, or more. So go ahead and listen to this podcast on PodCoin and sign up using the code FIRSTCLASSFATHERHOOD. It will change the way you listen to podcasts.
Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I just got to give a special thank you to all the Navy SEALs who you've just heard in this podcast. And all the Navy SEALs all around the entire community has been so awesome at getting back to me. Whenever I reach out to them to come on to the podcast here, they have some very insightful thoughts to share about fatherhood. And it will continue next week. For Frogman Friday, I'm going to be dropping a fresh Navy SEAL on you. Make sure you are following me over on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out just who that is. I got to say, thank you guys for listening. You are what makes this podcast what it is. That's all I got for you guys right here. I'm Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Tall as a tree, but it's all feeling so.